Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Let's start by going back four years. I'll be the greatest jobs president that God ever created. Well, he was. He delivered the highest number of people working in American history. The lowest unemployment in 50 years. The lowest for women in nearly 70 years. The lowest black, Hispanic, and Asian unemployment ever. The forgotten men and women won't be forgotten anymore. They won't. For the first time in decades, earnings rose faster for the lowest paid than the rich. Under Obama, inequality went up. With Trump, it came down. By the end of last year, three quarters of the people entering the labor force were coming off the sidelines, the highest since records began. To keep our country out of war, we will remember those three very famous words. Peace through strength. Trump is the first president since the 1970s not to start a foreign conflict. Our troops are coming home from the Middle East. Our military power has been massively enhanced. Trump defused the North Korea nuclear crisis he inherited. He's achieved peace deals in the Middle East that eluded his establishment predecessors. Yeah, I think peace through strength just about covers it. Our horrible trade agreements with China and many others will be totally renegotiated. That includes renegotiating NAFTA to get a much better deal for America. That's literally what he did. He put tariffs on China. He renegotiated NAFTA to produce the USMCA, the most pro-worker trade deal ever. Global supply chains were reconfigured. Jobs came back to America. Household earnings rose and inflation stayed low. The globalists were wrong and Trump was right. I will produce for the inner cities, and I will produce for the African-Americans. Opportunity zones, with billions of dollars of new investment for urban areas, record funding for historically black colleges, criminal justice reform to reverse the destruction of Joe Biden's crime bill. The only federal action on police reform after George Floyd, while Kamala Harris blocked police reform in the Senate. All that on top of the lowest black unemployment ever, the lowest black poverty ever, and a massive rise in average income for black families. A Trump administration will secure and defend the borders of the United States. Catch and release terminated. The wall nearly finished. Asylum seekers remain in Mexico. Caravans turned back thanks to the threat of tariffs. The result? Illegal border crossings down, gangs under attack, immigration under control. We are going to appoint justices of the United States Supreme Court who will uphold our laws and our Constitution. Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barras. Moving on. I am also going to propose a massive tax cut to unleash prosperity in every city and every state in our country. The Trump tax cuts gave the average family an extra $2,000 a year and reduced our business taxes from among the highest in the developed world 
to one of the lowest. As a result, companies came back to America and investment boomed. We'll get rid of these horrible regulations that make it impossible to do business in this country. A massive program of deregulation led to high investment, which boosted productivity, which increased workers' pay. Energy deregulation helped America become a net oil exporter for the first time in 75 years. Our focus must be on defeating terrorism and destroying ISIS. Our military leaders were given that focus. They were given operational control after years of second-guessing by Obama-Biden. ISIS was destroyed, losing 100% of its territory. Get the picture? That's just a top 10. Has there ever been a president who delivered so many of his promises in so many policy areas as Donald Trump? Biden says, who cares? Coronavirus! What is he even talking about? Trump shot down travel from China in January. Fauci says that saved thousands of lives. Where's the highest death toll? New Jersey, run by Democrats. New York, run by Democrats. Republican Florida, no lockdown, no mask mandate, many more elderly people, much lower death rates. What's the best single thing any leader could do? Bring the pandemic to an end as quickly as possible. The only way is vaccines and treatments. Trump was on it right from the start. He brought the drug companies together, the military, the bureaucracy. Yes, he yelled at the FDA. If ever it was vital to have a businessman in the White House, this was the moment. If you'd had Biden there, we'd be waiting years for the vaccines, years for the treatments. The idiots in the media attacked Trump for saying we're rounding the corner. But even the New York Times' own pandemic expert now says this, quote, experts are saying with genuine confidence that the pandemic in the United States will be over far sooner than they expected. Don't vote for Trump despite his pandemic response, but because of it. Just like the other big issue that's dominated this year, we've shown you Trump's record on racial justice. And yes, he'll bring law and order. But equally, he'll bring opportunity with his platinum plan for black America, boosting community lending for black entrepreneurs, millions of new jobs. Biden would shut down opportunity zones. Trump will expand them. Biden would abolish school choice. With Trump, there'll be more. Biden says he'll heal our racial divide. What? Mr. You ain't black. Mr. Predator. Mr. Crime Bill that destroyed countless black families and communities. On the issues, on the policy, Trump is the right choice. On the economy, he pioneered a new conservative populism. Pro-business on tax and regulation, pro-worker on trade and immigration. It led to the greatest economy we've ever seen, a blue-collar boom, lifting up those left behind by the establishment economics Biden would take us back to. On foreign policy, perhaps Trump's most consequential achievement and greatest legacy, reversing decades of establishment surrender to confront China's rise. Biden says normalcy. For working Americans, normalcy is cruelty. They send your jobs to China, then go to China to get jobs for themselves. You get poorer, they get richer. Normalcy is career politicians like Biden and Harris, totally controlled by the bureaucrats and the administrative state. Biden says his tweets, we want calm. Calm? Biden's practically comatose, the feeble stooge of fighting factions and the far left.
the snooty, snobby, superficial establishment want this election to be about style, not substance. Well, that may be fine for the already comfortable, but for Americans who are struggling, who want to climb the ladder of opportunity, try doing that with a Biden speech about the soul of the nation. On the substance, in any fair election, Trump would be resoundingly re-elected. But we don't have a fair election. NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, NPR, New York Times, Washington Post, Facebook, Twitter, all of it, non-stop, wall-to-wall Biden propaganda, the alliance of bias, colluding to suppress information and suppress the Trump vote. They're the ones undermining our democracy. For three and a half years, they plotted and schemed against President Trump from morning till night, and look what he was still able to accomplish. Now, they want to destroy Trump and his supporters, not because of policy or results or anything real, but because of their insane, irrational hate. Yes, there is the policy argument. Trump recovery or Biden shutdown. But this is bigger than that. This is about a threat to our values and our freedom. It's about the frightening new intolerance on the left in the universities, in Silicon Valley, in the media, in corporate America. It's about the divisive ideology of woke supremacy. It's about the establishment machine trying to crush the populist revolution that started, finally, to put power back into people's hands. Don't let them do it. Don't let them win. Don't just rage against the machine. Vote against it. All right, let us know what you think. Follow us at Steve Hilton X and at Next Rev FNC. Please share my closing argument when we post it. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. That's the longest intro I've ever done. That was Steve Hilton. And it spurred me with all these videos I'm getting from conservative commentators, the case for Trump. Plus, I wanted to cover the tech hearing. I want, excuse me, cover some more violence. And I really wanted to cover the movie Antifa, the movie the rise of the black flag. It was suppressed by Twitter, YouTube, Vimeo, everything. Couldn't even launch last night on time. Then it finally got out. And we are going to play it on the back side of this show to once again put out how important it is that this current election is more than just the guy you don't like. We've hit it for policy, we've hit it for media, but I think, as I'll play in a second, Greg Gutfeld sums it really well. We're rewarding poor conduct if we elect Biden-Harris. Poor conduct. Cities across the country are boarding up in case Trump wins. And yes, the argument could be made that regardless of who wins, as we proved on the show, Antifa is going to be attacking stuff. They're going to be trashing stuff regardless because they don't want anything. This is a revolution to them. And in this movie, Antifa the movie, which I've watched uh, this morning because I woke up at 3 a.m. instead of 4 a.m. because of daylight savings times or standard time or whatever the fuck it is now. Um, it's, It's an evil organization that our media, once again, will not touch so we will do violence we will do tech hearing we will do media violence 
We're going to find out who Mr. Anonymous is. Oh, yeah. And we'll do the Antifa movie. That's today's podcast in a nutshell. But I wanted to start with another closing comment by Craig Gutfeld. I scrubbed the Ben Shapiro because it was it was somebody else talking and it wasn't actually that good. So I guess what I listened to wasn't what I downloaded. But I really think the Greg Gutfeld was insightful when you really think about it. We're talking about the cool kids want to be with the establishment and the uncool kids don't. It's a very big reversal of high school, if you really want to think about it. And these people have not stopped with their craziness. Um, We're going to play a separate soundbite on the back end of this soundbite, this podcast. Um, The Rise of Antifa. It's an hour movie that was released last night. The funny thing is... Twitter and YouTube tried to suppress it. It took all night to get it to get released because the powers that be didn't want you to do that. So we're going to cover tech today too. So very short podcast, the case for Trump, and it starts with the policies. We've covered a lot, but I really want to cover this one because it won't go away. Super majority news. Representative Barbara Lee proposed creating the first Truth and Reconciliation Commission in U.S. history. Barbara Lee has introduced a proposal in Congress to create the first United States Commission on Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation in the United Nations history. The proposal will create a commission with the mission to properly acknowledge, memorialize, be a catalyst for progressive progress towards jettisoning the belief in a hierarchy of human value, embracing our common humanity, and permanently eliminating persistent racial inequalities. This is really about telling the truth. Politico. Does America need a truth and reconciliation commission? They've worked in other countries in the middle of a national reckoning on race. Some advocates are wondering Why not here? Trump's America, TNR, New Republican. Nothing in all creation is hidden. Why America needs truth and reconciliation after Trump. Trump polls. What a truth and reconciliation commission would actually look like. On the menu today, Robert Reich and other Democrats yearn for a post-Trump Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Republican pollsters lays out what he thinks Trump has a much better chance to win re-election than the conventional wisdom. Do we understand what they want? Why do you think that for this entire period... You haven't heard about the Antifa attacks. The media doesn't do it. I play, oh, by the way, Liga Pravada number nine flying pig today. I played it on the show, and I don't think everybody understands, and that's why I keep doing it, and I don't mean to belittle my audience. When Bray got brought on to meet the press... It was the media doing a tacit approval of what these people were doing. When Chris Cuomo posted 
Antifa like these guys, and it was the picture of Normandy. It was tacit approval. These people believe you are evil. See, I didn't say it in the last podcast. I beat around the bush. But let's be honest. We're voting for people who believe hate crime bill, hate talking homes must be prosecuted. That's in Scotland. It will be here. It will be here. It's just a matter of time. You have California telling you what you can do on Thanksgiving Day. It'll be here. They think you're evil. The people in the street beating people, burning things, think we're evil because we don't agree with their agenda. If that's not fascist as fuck, I don't know what is. That's why the media doesn't broadcast it. That's why Meet the Press brought on the Antifa handbook guy. That's why Chris Cuomo and Chris Hayes and almost every major freaking person in our media did that stupid D-Day photoing, or photo. Really think about that. Their policies are You abide by what we say or we punish you. The problem is every city in our country right now is boarding up. Pundits keep saying, well, that's the case Trump wins. They know people are going to riot, blah, blah, blah. We showed in the last podcast, they're rioting regardless of whoever the fuck wins. That's why I'm playing the movie today. The rise of the black flag. These people want a revolution. You have people saying revolution in the Democratic Party. They believe our form of government is evil. They think everything about us is evil. They think our country's evil. Remember, 1619. It's not just a theory. It's a religion right now. Expensify CEO tells 10 million customers to vote for Biden or face possible civil war. And all the while, you have Ben Shapiro sums it up. Blaming Trump for COVID is Dems' anti-fact religion. It is a religion. They believe that's the only thing they got on them. The media has done an incredible job of not talking about anything he's ever done. Amplifying every single little stupid scandal that's not a scandal. And they think they have it. This is a journalist, Brandy X. Lee, a reporter whose grandparents were refugees from Nazi Germany, related to me. I cannot help but remember a conversation I had with my grandfather about the firebombing of Dresden, whether he thought the Allies should be reproached for targeting civilians. He said, I remember this well, that I was necessity. Because nothing short of sight of seeing their cities leveled would have broken the spell. The German public, he said, would not open to reason. They could not be persuaded to abandon Hitler. That comment haunted her, she said. 
Needless to say, we are seeing the same phenomenon here. And every day that Donald Trump has exposure to the public, he spellbinds his followers ever more deeply as mental health experts are precisely the ones banned from comments. So basically he's saying we need to firebomb middle America because what's wrong with them? It is so ingrained in the Democrats that there are two Americas. The coastal elites and you fucking rubes. Joe Biden will hold a rally at Mitchell International Airport in Milwaukee tomorrow. Less than a week after the airport refused to allow Trump. It's not ending with the election. You understand that. None of this will end with the election. They will continue to do what they're doing because they can. Nobody will stop them. They have allowed them to beat the living fuck out of people over and over and over. And there's no reporting. There's no, oh, wow, this is wrong. We need to take the tone down. All the people on freaking uh, Twitter need to fucking slow the roll because that's just a little too far. That doesn't exist. It doesn't exist because every one of these fucking people in our media and in the Democratic Party Believe you deserve to be beaten down. Believe you're overrepresented. Believe you do not need to get any of the free shit that they promise everybody else. Because you are deplorable. Here's Biden mush-mouthing and having another deplorable moment. There's never been a president. That's a lie, Joe. That's a lie. Oh, it is a lie. Yeah. And it was your son in the Ukraine. All right. Get out of here. Get out of here. You're the one that offered to withhold a billion dollars to cancel a foreign relation. Son of a bitch, he got fired, right, Joe? Son of a bitch, he got fired, right? Remember that? Trump is innocent. Trump is innocent. You'll never be president. Your, your son is a crackhead. Your son is a crackhead, Joe. What do you think about that? Son of a bitch, he got fired, right? You're not giving a billion dollars, right, Joe? There's your quid pro quo, Joe. There's your quid. Rock and I think it's a right for people to have bad health care. The American people don't panic. Donald Trump panics. And unlike Donald Trump, we will not surrender to this virus. Look, President Trump is spreading division and discord. He thinks that he can divide us. We won't notice his failures. That's what it's all about. That's why he shamelessly equates Somali refugees, folks seeking a better life in America, contributing to this state and our country with terrorists, as he did last night. 
We need a president who bring us together, not pull us apart. I'll deal with this pandemic responsibly, bringing the country together around testing, tracing, masking. It's estimated by the leading doctors in this country that if we just wore masks for the next few months, we'd save over 100,000 lives of over 200,000 lives they expect to lose. Dr. Fauci called for a mask mandate last week. This isn't a political statement like those ugly folks over there beeping the horns. This is a patriotic duty, for God's sake. Look, in his own words, as I said, the president knew back in January how extremely dangerous and communicable this disease was. And I told you, he went on and he made that tape. He said it was disease was easily able to spread. But he did nothing. He did nothing at all. Look, folks, American people, our people are tough. And instead of talking and politicizing the vaccine, he should be planning for a safe, equitable, and free distribution of a vaccine when it comes next year. This guy refused to provide schools and small businesses the resources and the national standards open safely. That's like the third one. They know he's in cognitive decline. That's why you're seeing a pole shift. It's within the margin of error. Because more and more they air him and they basically, the liberal establishment coaxed him out of his basement. That's why his team wanted to keep him in the fucking basement. He has some serious cognitive decline. There's something wrong with Joe. Any way you cut it, he's not right. What the fuck is Trimavilla? They're airing fucking ads with Hitler in it. They're introducing Camelia Harris as the next president of the United States because Nancy Pelosi was doing the 25th to fucking ditch him. And does anybody really believe she's worthy to be president of the United States? That lady. It's getting so bad that liberals are resigning from our media. My resignation from The Intercept, Glenn Greenwald. The same trend of repression, censorship, and ideological homogeneity plaguing the national press generally have engulfed the media outlet I co-founded, culminating in censorship of my own article. The final precipitating cause is that The Intercept's editors censored an article I wrote this week, refusing to publish it unless I remove all sections critical of Joe Biden the candidate vehemently supported by all Intercept editors involved in the effort of suppression. The pathologies, illiberalism, and repressive mentality that led to the bizarre spectacle of my being censored by my own media outlets are ones that are not unique to The Intercept. I'll be doing my journalism on Substack. Our media is so in...
It's embarrassing. It is just embarrassing, and we'll get it after we start some violence. While the media calls it peaceful, we call it the violent left. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protest is supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, he kicks. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Yeah. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. The country is right-wing. Most of them radicalized right to the right. All punches are not equal morally. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Philly has not stopped, and I talked about it last podcast, but this is what our media came up with. Wolf Blitzer asked why Philadelphia officers didn't shoot to injure instead of shooting to kill. The answer is because cops aren't expert marksmen. None are trained to shoot to injure because it's impossible to do consistency. Lauren, they're really going down the road in mass, aren't they? They are trained to eliminate the threat, and that's the end of that. Center mass. I was always under the impression and belief that officers were trained to target the largest body mass and to eliminate collateral damage. Bystanders could get hit. That's the point. But while they're covering for a guy that deserved to get shot, police in Philadelphia discover van loaded with explosive a suspicious equipment. But it's an idea, Joe says. Philadelphia City Council passes bill banning tear gas on rioters as violent unrest continues. Listening to Philadelphia City Council meeting right now, in the midst of a rampant rioting and looting, the city council is considering whether to ban police from using tear gas against peaceful protesters, including peaceful protesters blocking highways. They've took out 20 fucking five ATMs. They torched a Vietnamese Baptist church. Our media ignored it. Walsh. BLM is making a martyr of yet another man convicted of abusing a woman. It's bullshit. And they they don't report 
the liberals' policies. Sister stabbed Chicago store worker 27 times after being told to wear a mask, prosecutor says. There's at least 10 this week that literally cover people getting released and fucking people up. Because remember, that's nationwide. It's just not going to be a New York City thing. It's not going to be an NYC. It is going to be national. Catch, release. They did it with illegals. Why the fuck wouldn't they do it with criminals? Muslim protesters hang, burn effigies of French President Macron for his refusal to condemn satire. The French thing has gotten so bad that our media, the AP specifically, did articles saying why Muslims have to do this. It was the typical Obama. It's our fault. It's all our fault. And once you get Biden, with everybody's legal, and we catch and release, illegal freed in the U.S. charged with killing two women in a machete attack. There's like a hundred of those. A hundred. And then you have the Jake Tapper carried... You gotta be fucking kidding me. Incident in Texas. So, to break it down, Trump supporters have done what the left does, but they're doing it peacefully. Not beating anybody, not doing anything crazy. They're just coming to events. And they're counter-protesting, like peaceful protesters. So in Texas, they went in on a highway, and they jumped the bus. Jake Tapper noticed the thread from Biden supporter who was there. Thread below. Biden campaign says Trump supporter in Texas put their staff, surrogate supporters, and others in harm's way. Dr. Eric Cervini, I flew down to Texas to help with Biden-Harris bus tour, tend to drum enthusiasm at polling locations. Instead, I end up spending the afternoon call 911. See all these pickup trucks with Trump flags? They were sitting along I-35 waiting to ambush the Biden-Harris campaign bus as it traveled from San Antonio to Austin. These Trump supporters, many of whom are armed, surround the bus on interstate and attempt to drive it off the road. That's a lie. They outnumbered police 50 to 1, and they end up hitting a staffer's car. The police refused to help. When I flagged down one officer, he said the hands were tied. Not my jurisdiction. He was wearing a blue striped bandana. Understandably, though, nobody was hurt. The rest of the tour was canceled. And as a historian who studied the rise of Third Reich, I can tell you, this is how democracy dies. There you go, I got your Germany on. While Germany still had elections and Hitler was merely a disgraced politician, his militia of brown shirts interrupted his opponent's political meetings and incited violence on the street. You know what happened next. We don't know what Trump supporters or Russia have planned for Tuesday. You see how fucking conspiracy theorists these idiots are? We don't know what kind of intimidation or suppression will inevitably occur. 
but we can't be prepared in the next four days. We can create such a landslide that their efforts are futile, sending a message that Nazi tactics have no place in America. Consider traveling to a swing state near your your canvas area, and if you can't, please commit to one shift of phone banking. We have four days, and I'm sure as hell don't want to wake up on Wednesday wishing I had done more to save our democracy. Replies, political bunny. You called 911 over a Trump caravan? Look at the guy calling 911 because the political opponents outnumber him. That's one heck of a blue wave, Bubba. You're pathetic. Stop whining. Idiot see Trump parade. Assumes it's an ambush, calls police and wastes their time and distracts them from real crime. Is this a joke? Wait, I thought you wanted to defund the police. Why don't you call a fucking social worker? Spot the fuck on. The point being is, all fucking weekend, there were Trump parades. They were fucking everywhere. And do you think our media covered any of that? When Biden, or when Obama won, we've talked about it. He won on the basic principle that they made him a rock star. Every photo, every video, everything you could possibly put out in the media was done with a perfect light. Like, look at this. This is earth shattering. This guy is unbelievable. This guy is what everybody wants. That's what our media did. It was all manufactured. It was the most impressive fucking campaign ever. Other than Trump's, really if you think about it, um, 2016 one. But it was impressive. It was made for fucking TV, man. It was fucking... Most of it was filmed by Spielberg and everybody from Hollywood. But I mean, even the first one in Germany was a lie. We all know it's a lie. But they ran that shit. And they ran it and they ran it and it was amazing. It was earth shattering, blah, 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 blah. Well, right now, organic grassroots all over the place are happening in America, and our media doesn't mention it other than Jake Tapper covering a guy. Now, I researched the car, a van in the caravan for Biden, tried to swerve towards a truck, hit the bus. The truck didn't do anything. It was literally the SUV who prompted the contact. Because online, liberals were losing their shit showing a picture of a van with black tire marks. But it was the SUV. I mean, they're everywhere. I could play just tons. I'll just play Beverly Hills and NYC. And what you hear here is the media acknowledgement that it's okay for the left to have brown shirts called Antifa because they beat the fuck out of everybody. So you're going to hear Beverly Hills, break, New York City, break, and Jews protesting the anti-Semitism that's rampant in their communities in New York City being assaulted also. 
I didn't say you have to leave. It's a public park. If you want to enjoy the park, stay here and enjoy the park with your kids. Right? It's a public park. Because you're the only one yelling. You're the only one yelling. I'm trying to talk to you. Once again, I could play hours. I can go to WokeNet. I can go to Andy NGO. I can do BG on the street. Hours of violence. Just playing a few seconds. And am I saying if Trump gets elected, it stops? No. What I'm saying is, if you vote for Biden and you think this is going to stop, it's not. And it's going to be rewarding people for bad behavior. America is a great country. Ignore these fucks. They're not real. So now we move into our first little break. I want to play this. This is Ali Stuckey. I think it's the best satire ad I've seen. And then we're going to come into a media montage of them, once again, demonizing you because you don't think like them. Hi, I'm the spokesperson for the Democratic Party. And I'm back to tell you why you need to vote blue this November. You know us as the party of love, tolerance, and compassion, but we're much more than that. We're the party of science, and the science is clear. Men have periods, babies are clumps of cells until they're born, and maybe a few minutes after. Vaccines save lives unless they're developed while Trump is president, and voting for us will end hurricanes, wildfires, and tornadoes. As our nation reels from a pandemic with at least a 98% survival rate, we need a party that understands that riots, liquor stores, and abortion clinics are immune to the virus, while churches and schools are dangerous and must be shut down. It's for your safety. Democrats stand for justice. That means we'll ruin a man's life based on no evidence because we believe all women, unless your name is Tara Reid. As fighters for justice, we have a winning message from our activist base. Abolish the police and prison systems. At the same time, we'll push to take away your guns and eliminate single-family housing zones. It'll be fine. Our commitment to justice also means we'll stand by as the lives, businesses, and property of people who did nothing wrong are destroyed. That's because we believe Black Lives Matter. Trump is a racist. He just is. And even though he's explicitly condemned white supremacy multiple times, it's not enough and it never will be. Come to think of it, he hasn't been quite clear enough on his stances on cannibalism, pushing people in front of moving trains, or Ted Bundy either. It really makes you wonder. In Joe Biden, we have a champion for the BIPOC, primarily by authoring a bill that sent thousands of them to prison. And most recently, he compassionately pointed out that all black people think the same way, and that if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. He's right, of course. The only real black people are the ones who agree with us on everything. And those who don't, well, we have every right to belittle and demean them. That's what we call anti-racism. Democrats are the party of the poor, the marginalized, and people of color, as is reflected in our leadership and our party's biggest donors. Y hablamos espanol. One thing Democrats are best at is exciting our base. We do this by coming up with stories we know will make you angry and then dropping them entirely without corrections when they get old like accusing Kavanaugh of gang rape or Trump of stealing mailboxes. That was fun. Trump is a scary, evil dictator. 
so scary that absolutely no one is afraid to criticize him, lie about him, openly wish death upon him, or call him a clown in a live debate. That's why we believe he won't concede in November. Sure, it's been four years and we still haven't accepted the results of the last election, but that's because... reasons. The GOP will do anything to stay in power. Democrats are just trying to preserve our democracy by packing the courts, abolishing the Electoral College, and reconfiguring the Senate. We go back and forth between believing Trump is a conniving genius or a bumbling buffoon, but one thing is clear. He is not mentally fit to be president. Our candidate is sharp and not at all in cognitive decline. I mean, who really knows what the Declaration of Independence says anyway? And who are you to say corn pop isn't real? The choice is clear. And once again, we're confident that through censorship, manipulation, bullying, and maybe a little ballot harvesting, We'll get our way. Why? Because we care about you. So much so that we're willing to wear you down until you fear getting silenced, doxxed, fired, or ruined if you don't agree with our agenda. That's love. I'm the spokesperson for the Democratic Party. Vote for us in November. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. Blowing through the jazz on in my mind. Tonight, city officials in Philadelphia are appealing for calm following a night of violent protests after police shot and killed a black man in front of his family. The shooting was captured on video and a warning. What you are about to see and hear is disturbing. Here's CBS's Jerika Duncan. Tonight, the National Guard on alert in Philadelphia after demonstrations turned violent Monday night. Police say 30 of their officers were injured, including one female officer whose leg was broken after she was hit by a vehicle. Oh my God, he hit a cop! The unrest is fueled by the shooting death of 27-year-old Walter Wallace Jr. In cell phone video, he's seen walking toward police. His family claims he had a dinner night. Wallace's mother tried to intervene. Two officers with their guns drawn repeatedly asked him to drop the weapon. Police say the officers fired at least seven shots each. There are many questions that demand answers. Residents have my assurance that those questions will be fully addressed by the investigation. This is just the latest in police-involved shootings that have led to protests, including one in Waukegan, Illinois. Today, 20-year-old Tafara Williams, who was shot last week in a police-involved shooting that left her boyfriend, Marcellus Dinette, dead, spoke for the first time from her hospital bed. I get here and Marcellus still breathing. I told him, please don't shoot. I have a baby. We have a baby. We don't want to die. As this West Philadelphia community mourns, today we spoke to Wallace's family attorney, Shaka Johnson. He said Wallace's pregnant wife told authorities that her husband was bipolar. You maintain this was an unjustified police shooting? Absolutely. I have an issue with the fact that someone with verifiable mental health issues was gunned down in the street in front of his family. 
The Philadelphia mayor says he's reached out to other law enforcement agencies to be on alert, possibly for assistance, and some businesses also plan to close down early tonight. Nora, a number of people here on this street asked, why didn't police just use a taser? Well, the police chief commissioner said that the officers involved in the shooting didn't have them. The DA writes, keep your proud boys, goon squads, and uncertified poll watchers out of our city, Mr. President. Break the law here, and I've got something for you. Joining us now is that Philadelphia District Attorney, Larry Krasner. Mr. Krasner, great to have you. What does that mean, I've got something for you? That means I got a jail cell, and I got criminal charges, and you can st uh, stand in front of a Philadelphia jury, which, by the way, is a diverse jury, and you can explain why you thought it was okay to come to Philly and steal our votes. This is the birthplace of democracy. We are not doing this. Want to be fascist? Stay home. And if your idea of how to have a democratic election is to steal it, then I got something for you. Never really had to be concerned that a bunch of knuckleheads were going to show up at the polls with guns. Uh, if they do it this time, they're going to have a problem because the fact is the Second Amendment does not protect people who claim to be a militia and have not been summoned by the governor. Militia is not something you just get to be by saying it. It's something you get to be when governmental authority summons you. So if you want to dress up like G.I. Joe and claim you are protecting the polls when we all know what you're really doing is intimidating votes, you're getting locked up. Phone banking is an incredibly effective thing to do. Um, and I want to tell people it's not scary. It's easy. You sign up for a shift. Uh, we teach you how to do it, no matter how introverted you are, even if it feels very outside of your comfort zone. Uh, right away, you see how easy and effective it is. Uh, we don't have people at swing left, obviously. We're trying to swing seats left and, and help Biden win and help Democrats win up and down the ballot. But you're not calling Trump voters and getting into arguments you know, trying to convince them to miraculously become less racist over the next four days. You know, you're just calling people who tend to vote Democratic, who lean Democratic, who have voted for Democrats in the past, but might have questions about early voting or their ballot or where to go or how to fill out their ballot or just to give them that extra little push, that extra little bit of encouragement they need to actually get out there and vote because it truly is now or never. There are millions of people out there who say it doesn't matter if they vote, that Washington uh, doesn't change their lives. There are people who believe that. There are millions of people in this country uh, who do not vote. There's 4.4 million who didn't vote uh, in 2016 that voted in 2012. When you come across a person who says that to you, it doesn't matter. What's your message? I make it about the issues, because ultimately it's not the politician, it's the issues that they represent. It's what they're fighting for in terms of policy. We get really bogged down in terms of personality and who's charismatic and who's telegenic and who's a good public speaker. And communication is important if you're a politician, but ultimately it's about the policies. Right now we have one candidate in Joe Biden who believes in science who, when a vaccine is ready, will listen to doctors and be competent and intelligent enough to actually be able to administer the vaccine to 350 million Americans. We have a president currently 
who doesn't believe that science is real, who's trying to play down the vaccine, hmm. who can't even handle a rally without his own supporters passing out because of heat in Tampa or cold in Nebraska. This is not a person that we can trust to administer a vaccine to 350 million Americans because that's what it's going to take to bring COVID rates down and for us to go back to a normal life. So I make it about that. I make it about science. I make it about LGBT rights, which affects me and my community. I make it about the Supreme Court mm -hmm. because we have minority rule right now. We have a popular vote that Hillary Clinton won that Biden could possibly very well win again, but Trump could still win the Electoral College and be able to put even more justices on the Supreme Court. That has a direct impact on my life as a gay person. It has a direct impact on the lives of the women I know, and it has a direct impact on the vast majority of Americans who would prefer Biden. And the only way to do that is to vote the person in. If this election were, and as the originalists uh, tell us, uh, was all about the, the way uh, our founding fathers intended it to be, and white men of property were voting, Donald Trump would be reelected. But thank God for the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote, and the 1965 Voting Rights Act, which extended voting rights to uh, people of color uh, in this country, uh, particularly African Americans, uh, Donald Trump will not be reelected. Uh, and uh, if it was just white men voting, he would be reelected, which is in itself uh, rather embarrassing as a white male. Do all eligible voters, regardless of their race, have an equal shot at casting their ballots? We turn to 92-year-old Reverend James Lawson. Voter suppression isn't sadly a thing of the past. Oh yes, it's a continuation of USA history. Reverend Lawson says long lines, ID requirements, the purge of voter lists, and reduced access to ballot drop boxes makes voting harder than it should be, especially for people of color. It's a form of racism. Our power has always been in ourselves. Racism is something he's fought against nonviolently his whole life. Martin Luther King Jr. called him one of the noblemen in their quest for equality. Registering to vote became a primary issue from day one, a black person could lose everything by registering to vote. Including their lives, which is why he says it hurts so much to see that voter suppression is still with us 55 years after the passage of the Voting Rights Act. He cites Texas Governor Greg Abbott's October decision that voters will have only one place to return their mail-in ballots in each county. The governor says it will enhance ballot security. Lawson says it will hamper minority voting, as some of the counties with huge minority populations are as big as eastern states. It's absolute suppression, repression. It follows the plantation owners of the 1870s who used bullets and guns to stop the voting. He's using the technique of voting to stop the voting. Governor Abbott's order was struck down by a Texas state court, but three federal judges in the Fifth Circuit, all appointed by President Trump, approved the governor's plan. Who is really suppressing the vote? Is it Republicans? Or is it a media that has been lying for four fucking years? I got some special ones, but let's just get to some facts. Vanity Fair adores the idea of a news cycle slowdown under Joe Biden. I mean, it's been so hard. Having to do your job chasing fake shit. 
Nate Silver, a lot of Trump hope stems from this. Biden lead isn't quite comfortable enough in PA. And although he has some good backup plans if he loses, he doesn't have a great one. You get to a journalist. Can we trust Pennsylvania polls? Nothing can stop these pieces. Not editors, not legislation, not an act, God, nothing. Polls show Mr. Biden leading by 5 to 13 points, but I grew up around here and I'm dubious. Because people are getting on the ground and they're running into this. Panic. MSNBC only finds one Biden voter out of 50 in Arizona. Couldn't do the piece. And then America see that the Lakers and the Dodgers won their prospective championships. There was rioting, looting, jumping up and down in the streets. Not one media said, what a super spreader. Axios is running a bogus thing based on models. Trump rallies have done a lot of spreading. It doesn't show they did it. It's just based on models. And then you get the humdinger. Two reasons why a podcast. To play a few of those things, get the violence out there, play the Antifa movie, which I'll do as a separate. And cover this story. This was huge. It was all over our media. And we go to Drew Holden to sum it up the best. Today we found out that the anonymous senior Trump official of New York Times op-ed and book fame was Miles Taylor USA, former staffer and current CNN contributor. I thought it was a good time to revisit all the hubbub. First and foremost, no one has more egg on their face than the New York Times. The great lady. They made the what appears now to be genuinely egregious decision to run with the anonymous article, despite it not actually being from a senior member of Trump cabinet, and then spun the news, castle, uh, news cycle. Remember, they told him this guy knew everything. He had no contact with Trump. Although I will say right behind them is G.T. Conway. He made it his personal cause to seem to defend the heroism of Anonymous. But there are many people who fed into the rampant speculation we saw back in their early aughts of 2018. Perhaps my personal favorite is CNN. Seven terms you need to know to understand the Anonymous New York Times op-ed. Here's one big clue to the identity of the New York Times op-ed. Saliza at CNN, among 13 people, he speculated none was less consequential than Fiona Hill. He had both VP Pence and First Lady on the list. It's a true story. Let me try to find it. I have an actual. Chris Saliza suggested anonymous might be Mike Pence or Kellyanne Conway. Here's what Saliza wrote about the New York Times article. In his piece, knowing the New York Times would never let nobody bash the president anonymously, Saliza speculated it could be Mike Pence, Conway, or Melania Trump. That was real. The walls were coming in, too. Quick take at Bloomberg kept running tally like it was an office pool. Newsweek. Did Jared Kushner write the anonymous? Here's a closer look at the man behind the New York Times op-ed. 
Forensic linguist says it's only a matter of time for the author of New York Times op-ed is revealed. According to the anonymous New York Times op-ed, Donald Trump's cabinet considered invoking the 25th. How would this guy know that? Nancy Pelosi tells uh, tells reporters her first guess is who's behind it. Mike Pence. Michael Moore says it's Mike Pence. Washington Post did the same water cool gossiping. Bizarrely speculating about all the high-level and consequential people who made authored the piece. All the speculation that's filled the tweet. Who wrote the Times op-ed? Chris Hayes. The Atlantic lost their shit over it. USA Today. Dan Rather. Kirk Eichenwald. Dick Durbin. Kate Caitlin Collins at CNN. Uh, Wilson Cruz. Ann Coulter. Bill Maher, Lawrence O'Donnell. I'm not even going to do it anymore. Everybody. Then you get this article and it's true. Won't read it to you because it's self-explanatory. Captain Anonymous, Miles Taylor exposed lapse of media ethics. They ran with so much stuff. They didn't care. The motherfucker is a Google employee and he works at CNN. The most trusted name in resistance news. That's what they've become. And they're still third place. I'm Golden Home and Garden Channel. Molly Hemingway. For whatever it's worth, rumors swirl in the New York Times famous anonymous person is literally someone named Miles Taylor. But I don't think that is true because that would be even lamer and lower level than many dream imaginable. Oh, I guess it's true. Laughs, laughs, laughs. That is so bleeping beautiful. I can't possibly be more thankful. I love this so much. The person the New York Times strongly insinuated was a VP or White House chief of staff cabinet member was this guy. White House officials predicting that she armed the New York Times to get the scoop on revealing who Anonymous was because of his hack record. Hack record, get it. On reporting the debunked Russian collusion. I've told Miles Taylor is someone you wouldn't know from Adam unless you watch Jake Tapper show, since apparently he features him on a regular. New York Times and other big media sold him falsely as a top-tier name. Jake Tapper knew. David Martosco. So everyone who breathlessly worshipped at the altar of Anonymous got punked. Turn in your press pass. CNN Newsroom. I wear a mask for two things, Anderson. Halloween and pandemics. So no, says Miles Taylor, when asked by Anderson Cooper if he is the author of the op-ed book written by Anonymous. Then they're keeping him. They're keeping him. They don't see it as a problem for their reputation because they don't have a reputation. But you look at the New York Times... As Czar Beckett Adams does. New York Times opinion of a very normal and diverse one today. How will I ever look at America the same way again? Trump killed the Pax Americans. Four wasted years thinking about Donald Trump. Our standing in the world. Frank Bruni is 56. He's old enough to have lived through Abscam, Iran-Contra, Waco, Clinton perjuring himself, the war on terror, Fannie Freddie, the VA scandal, NSA spying, unaccountable drone war. But it wasn't until this anime admin that Bruni lost a kind of innocence. Because those articles are everywhere. 
Everywhere! Daily Beast columnists Brian Seltzer. Many political analysts and a fair number of psychiatrists say folks like me suffer from PTSD triggered by the 2016 election and it prevents us from seeing the blue wave heading our way. Polls, they say, are different this time. Really? Carlson Margaret. Sean Davis, my team lost, so I got upset. It's not PTSD. You disgusting hack. Stop calling your social class inability to accept life when it doesn't go your way, PTSD. None of you idiots have PTSD. What you have, mindset of a temperament of a fucking spoiled brat. But that's going to happen if Tuesday Trump pulls it off. 93% of the newspapers have endorsed Biden so far. 93 Because the rest haven't. They are horrible people. They're in the tank. They will let anything go because, hey, that's what they do. I mean, for fuck's sake, the Atlantic supposedly has never backed a candidate. So they say. Well, now they're running articles. How Republicans, why the 2020 could be a dangerous in the 1850s. Democrats could win decisively next week, but that still wouldn't neutralize minority Republican power. How they can thwart Biden's agenda. This is like 16 all over. Remember, they were making house. She's going to have a cabinet of rivals. They won't report Pennsylvania 2020 inside the Democratic stronghold that no longer recognize their party. Actual article going out and talking to people and they go, yeah, I can't vote for that. Lifelong Democrat Flint City Council member endorses Trump. No coverage. Because they're still busy doing this. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy the intellectual styling of NYU marketing professor Scott Galloway. Whenever I do this, I think of Flight 93-911. How did the passengers decide whether to rush the cockpit hijacker and attempt to retake control of the plane? They voted. That's serious. Him voting against Trump is like 9-11 hijackers. They're fucking delusional. And then you get this gem and some more sound bites. An anti-black fly Black Lives Matter flag replaced the American flag behind President Trump during a Waukesha campaign rally. It's the thin blue line. They did it mostly true. That's what the PolitiFact said. Because they're not hacks. No. No, they're not hacks. So, the more crazy sound bites to show you this is another reason you shouldn't vote for Biden. You should punish this media 
for how they've acted. Acosta dogging Trump supporters heckling him when he's heckled Trump supporters for fucking four years. Cuomo cries racism for Philly shooting. Lemon said, I had to get rid of my friends that were Republican because they wouldn't think like me. A, he doesn't have any Republican friends. B, what a fucking piece of shit. And then Chelsea Handler literally talking about assaulting people in airports for being Trump supporters. She kept her job, folks. Another black man shot and killed by police in the key state of Pennsylvania, Walter Wallace Jr., the name we now must all know. Just 27, killed yesterday in front of his mom in Philadelphia. She was chasing after him, begging cops not to shoot a man who was clearly in mental distress. You don't have to believe me. There's tape. And it is so sad. You will feel yourself watching it. You can see that the police don't know what to do. They don't know how to make the situation any different from the way it's unfolding. You see the mother's desperation and you'll feel yourself saying, don't, don't, don't. Just like his mother was. The Biden team put out a statement on the shooting today, an earlier pledge to act on addressing systemic racism in our country. But for Biden, the first step to dealing with the virus of racism or the coronavirus is to get a president who cares about fighting these problems. President who is not in it for himself, but for others, a president who doesn't divide us, but unites us. President who appeals not to the worst in us, but to the best. Well, I will govern as an American president. I work as hard for those who don't support me as for those who do. That's the job of a president. A duty of care for everyone. There certainly is a need for care. We are certainly a country in crisis. Those things we know. What we don't know is what happens next. The woman you saw in the video chasing the man in black was his mother. And she was pleading with him to calm down to try to control himself. Why? Because Walter Wallace Jr. was in distress. The family says it alerted police that Wallace Jr. had mental health issues that police needed to use de-escalation tactics. They didn't even have tasers. So when you say, uh, uh, with respect to, is this, is this race, is this color, is when you gave us those scenarios to choose from, I have to wonder, when you have a $730 million budget annually, and you do not put priority on less lethal methods, but every training academy, you give officers a badge, you give them a gun, you give them rounds of ammunition, and you train them how to kill. kill. You train them how to hit center mass and headshots. You train them on you're setting them up for failure. You're setting them up for failure if they have to deal with more sophisticated situations than somebody trying to shoot at you them. Are You are setting them up, you are setting the community up, and it is a lose-lose situation. Look at what's happening to them. We have to help them. They're all getting killed by this. Now it's happening here. It's happening here right now at his own damn rally. You know what the sad thing is? And I'll be honest with you. Um, I have have many people who I love in my life. And yeah, I come from a red state. I've lived in several red states. 
there are a lot of friends who I had to really get rid of because they, they are so nonsensical when it comes to this issue. They have the whole, every single talking point that they hear on state TV and that they hear from this president. They repeat it and they are blinded by it. And I just, when I said to you the other night, there's no way they can't believe it. They can't, you know, I was just goosing you in a way, right? You know, when they say I was, you know, um, Bruce, I was breaking works. your, you know, you know works. works. It won't like, okay. It's not like that'll be all over the internet. Continue. <laughs> so, hey, but here's the thing. Um, I, I had to get rid of them because they are too far gone. I try and I try and I try. They'll say something really stupid and then I'll show them the science and I'll give them the information. And they still repeat those talking points. And all the while, the state was a hot spot. Many, if you look at the information that we put up last night that came up yesterday, showed you how the red states have now taken over where the blue states, where people came in because there are bigger cities and there's more transmission, obviously, where, where there are, where people are closer together. And so now the red states are the problem. And I just, I have to get rid of a lot of people in my life because sometimes you just have to let them go. I think that they have to hit rock bottom like an addict. Right, and they have to want to get help. They have to want to know the truth. They have to want to live in reality. They have to want to be responsible, not only for other people's lives, but for their lives. So you know what? I have had, it's so sad. And I don't know if after this, I will ever be able to go back and be friends with those people because at a certain point, you just say they're too far gone and I gotta let them go. And if they're willing to come back and if they're willing to um, live in, in reality, then I will welcome them with open arms. But I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I also have been through therapy for a long time. I'm not anymore, but I was for a long time. And I'm curious, how specifically did therapy help you to deal with your rage against Trump? Because I could use a few tips. Oh, my God. I, used to, I would walk into the airport. I would go to the first class lounge, check in, then run over to the Fox News section and start assaulting people. Like I would, I would go in and be like, you're a racist. And then I'd run out and then I'd run back in and go, do you want your daughter to have rights because she won't? And then I'd run out. Then I'd run back into the Fox News section and go, are you still a racist? I mean, I was out of my tree and my level of outrage was just not, I couldn't handle it anymore. I was just, my veins yeah. were throbbing. And I wanted yeah, yeah. to learn how to talk to Trump supporters or conservatives at this yeah. time in 2016. Now Trump supporters, I don't have anything to say to them anymore at this juncture. But I wanted to be able to have the conversations that I was being prevented. That, my friends, is criminal. It's just criminal. Chelsea Handler, criminal. Just fucking criminal action. And she's not the only one. She's just not. So, I wanted to do a short section on tech. So I'm just going to play some ba- sound bites and then cover a couple of articles. Can any of you, and, and let's go in that order, uh, Zuckerberg, Dorsey, and then Pichai, can you name for me one high-profile person or entity from a liberal ideology who you have censored and, and what particular action you took? Uh, Senator, I can get you a, a, a list of some more of this, but there are certainly many examples that your, your Democratic colleagues um, object to when, when um, you know, a fact checker might label something as false they disagree with or um, they're yeah, not able yeah, to... I, I get that. 
I, I get that. I just want to be clear. I, I'm just asking you if you can name for me uh, uh, one high-profile liberal person or company who you've censored. I understand that the, the, uh, you're saying that there are complaints on both sides, but I just, I just want one name of one person or one entity. Um, Senator, I need to I need to think about it and 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 get you more of a list. But but there are certainly many many issues on both sides of the aisle where people think we are we are making content moderation decisions that they disagree with. I, I got that, and I think everybody on this call could uh, agree that they could identify at least um, uh, five, maybe ten, maybe more high-profile conservative exam uh, examples. You forced the Politico reporter to take down his post about the New York Post as well. Is that correct? Within that 24-hour period, yes. But we, you know, as the policy has changed, anyone can tweet so the So Twitter takes the view, you can censor the New York Post, you can censor Politico, presumably you can censor the New York Times or any other media outlet. Mr. Dorsey, who the hell elected you? and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear, and why do you persist in behaving as a democratic super PAC, silencing views to the contrary of your political beliefs? Let, let okay, for both Mr. Zuckerberg and Dorsey, who, who censored, censored New York Post stories or throttled them back, do either one of you have any evidence that the New York Post story is part of Russian disinformation, or that those emails aren't authentic. Do any of you have any any information whatsoever? They're not authentic, or that they are Russian disinformation. Mr. Dorsey, we we don't. You have no. So so why would why would you censor it? Why did you prevent that from being disseminated on your platform that is supposed to be for the free expression of ideas, and particularly true ideas? We believe to fell fell of our hacking materials policy. Uh, we judged in a moment. But what evidence did you have that it was hacked? They, they weren't hacked. We we judged in a moment that it looked like it was hacked materials. You were wrong. Surfacing, and and we updated our policy and our enforcement within 24 hours. There is a disparity uh, between the censorship, and, and, and again, I'm using that as a term of art as I've defined it a moment ago, between the censorship of conservative and liberal points of view, and it's an enormous disparity. Now, you have the right, I want to be very clear about this, you have every single right to set your own terms of service and to interpret them and to make decisions about violations. But given the disparate impact of who gets censored on your platforms, it seems that you're either, one, not enforcing your, 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 your terms of service equally, or, alternatively, two, that you're writing your standards to target conservative viewpoints. You certainly have the right to operate your own platform, but you also have to be transparent about your actions, at least in the sense that you can't promise certain corporate behavior and then deceive customers through contradictory actions that just blatantly contradict what you've stated as your corporate business model or as your policy. Can you name for me one high-profile person or entity from a liberal ideology who you have censored and what particular action you took? Uh, Senator, I can get you a, a, a list of some more of this, but there are certainly many examples that your, your Democratic colleagues um, object to when, when um, you know, a fact checker might label something as false that they disagree with or um, they're yeah, not able yeah, to... I, I get that. 
I, I get that. I just want to be clear. I, I'm just asking you if you can name for me uh, uh, one high-profile liberal person or company who you've censored. I understand that the, the, uh, you're saying that there are complaints on both sides, but I just, I just want one name of one person or one entity. Um, Senator, I need to I need to think about it and and and, and get you more of a list. But but there are certainly many many issues on both sides of the aisle where people think we are we are making content moderation decisions that they disagree with. I, I got that, and I think everybody on this call could uh, agree that they could identify at least um, uh, five, maybe ten, maybe more high-profile conservative exa uh, examples. Uh, what about you, Mr. Dorsey? Well, we, we can um, give a more exhaustive list, um, but again, we don't have an understanding of political yeah, ideology not, of our accounts. But I'm not asking I, for an exhaustive list. I'm asking for a single example, one. Just one individual, one entity, anyone. We, we've, we've taken action on tweets from members of the House for election misinfo. Can you identify any example? Yes, but two, two Democratic, um, two, two Democratic uh, Congress people. On what are their names? I'll, I'll get those, those names too. Great, great. Mr. McKay, how about you? Um, Senator, I'll give specific examples, but uh, let me step back. We don't censor. We have uh, moderation policies which we apply uh, equally. To give you an example, yeah, on our ads. I, I get that. I, I use the word censor as a term of art there, and I define that term. I, and, and I don't, well, again, I'm not asking for a comprehensive list. I, I want a name. We have, we have uh, you know, turned down ads from Priorities USA, from Vice President Biden's campaign. We have had uh, compliance issues with World Socialist uh, Review, which is a, a left-leaning publication. Well, I, we can give you several examples, but for example, when we have a graphic content policy, we don't allow for ads which show graphic violent content in those ads. And we have taken down ads on both sides of the campaign, and I gave you a couple of examples. Now, once again, I think these fucking tech hearings are stupid as shit. They're not going to accomplish anything because Republicans didn't do anything when they had the power in the Senate. By some act of God, if they actually hold the Senate and increase their lead in the House, which doesn't appear it's going to happen, they won't do anything then. But I bring it up because listen to a dem during the hearing. The big tech business model, which puts profits ahead of people, is a real problem. Anti-conservative bias is not a problem. The issue is not that the companies before us today are taking too many posts down. The issue is that they're leaving too many dangerous posts up. In fact, they're amplifying harmful content so that it spreads like wildfire and tortures our democracy. Mr. Zuckerberg, when President Trump posted on Facebook that when the looting starts, the shooting starts, you fail to take down that post. Within a day, the post had hundreds of thousands of shares and likes on Facebook. Since then, the president has gone on national television and told a hate group to, quote, stand by. And he has repeatedly refused to commit that he will accept the election Results. Mr. Zuckerberg, can you commit that if the president goes on Facebook and encourages violence after election results are announced, that you will make sure your company's algorithms don't spread that content and you will immediately remove those messages? 
and then listened even worse to another sting of Google. Listen to what this fucking fascist says. A small company can't stop Donald Trump. Is it the business of any company in this country to literally stop Donald Trump? Anybody? Is that what we pay people for? Because we're paying Google. Somehow, some way, you're paying Google. And is that what we pay them for? I mean, maybe it's me. Maybe we do. Well, I, I know liberals do. They want watchdogs to stop terrible things from happening and fascists. And they're so bought into this fucking Nazi shit that we're all going to become Nazis because it just takes a second. And then you got a guy like Trump saying things. And oh my God, it's all over. We're fucked. But the reality is it's the left that talks over and over and over and over. Like a cult. I mean, the Trump bots literally don't have anything on the cult of personality that was Barack Obama. Although it's really endearing to see now, or not endearing, it's not the word I'm looking for, but nice to see that all of a sudden his hold is not as good because not that many people really showed up for his shit in fucking Michigan. I'm just saying, it just... There wasn't that many people. For, I mean, Barack Hussein Obama. The guy's a dear one. But that's how these people are. They believe it's their job to do it. Dan Crenshaw. Biggest takeaway from Big Tech hearing. Jack Dorsey's a partisan and a hypocrite. There are no liberals left the Democratic Party. Not a single Democratic senator defended free speech or freedom of press today. This should terrify Americans. It's true. Big tech alters election policies 26 times to stop social media president. 26 times they've altered their rules to affect this election, just like they said they would. Google said it. Twitter said it. 
Facebook said it. They all said it. It's been a general theme on my podcast. Listen to what they say. They're saying it. I remember Twitter defends censoring Trump, but not the Ayatollah. But Cruz and all them, yeah, they got in there and they looked all badass. But it comes back to our media. Senate hearing featuring tech CEOs, Mark Zuckerberg, blah, 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 blah. And while they don't really get to play a starring role in the proceedings, journalists are still weighing in. Issy Leposky, wild for Marsha Blackburn to allege that Twitter has denied Trump access to his platform. Who is more prolific on Twitter than him? And a lot of that, a lot of that just fucking smugness. Yeah, whatever. Remember, turning in, you know, this weekend, numerous tweets by lefties that the Trump caravans, the people that are going around doing these organic parades are ISIS. That's good to go. But saying that there's a bias in our media, that's a conspiracy. Gerald Byer may have just zeroed in on Twitter's endgame. Jake Tapper. Some folks have asked me to explain what's going on Twitter and New York Post. Post posted the story on Hunter Biden with Twitter determined the time to contain materials that violated the rules. Twitter says the specific Twitter rules broken were ones that applied to the public of hacked materials. Twitter decided it also meant any tweets that directly included those materials or linked to them. Twitter required to be deleted. Twitter locked accounts that tweeted those materials until they deleted those tweets after which they had access to stored. Then Twitter changed its ruling. The change meant that those previous New York Post tweets were no longer in violation of current rules. But Twitter does not change enforcement decisions retroactively, even if the account is no longer violating the rules. So Twitter and the New York Post are in a standoff about the rules the Post violated that are no longer the rules. Twitter says New York Post can end it immediately by deleting the tweet. Post editors suggest they won't do it. Jack Dorsey is testifying before Congress tomorrow, so I'm sure we'll hear more about it then. Basically, they summed it down. Just do what you're told. But that's not the problem. The problem is CNN don't get locked out. CNN pushed Anonymous on their TV network. A liar. Not a cabinet member. They don't suffer any recourse. The funny thing is, they're still playing off. CBS did a short thing on Hunter Biden. But they're still playing off the it can't be verified shit. And the reality is, Jesse Kelly... The media would never run with unverified reports. Trump, America, who die in war, are losers. The media would never run with unverified reports. AP, Trump admin, considers using 100,000 National Guard troops. The media would never use unverified. The women who have accused Brett Kavanaugh. The media would never be unverified. Blumenthal, Turkish offensive against Kurds in Syria, on the cusp. The media would never run. ABC News mistakenly airs video from Kentucky Gun Show. That's just the tip of lies, obfuscation, bullshit. Just this week, 
Alexander Ocasio-Cortex rips Trump. These motherfuckers are only paying $750 a year. Total lie. No fact-checking. There's no fact-checking on that. If I say something to one of them, heard it, they fact-check it. I'm a fucking nobody fat guy in my basement. The tech thing is so bad, the Girl Scouts, which most of you know the story. I won't go in depth. But the Girl Scouts having to tweet earlier today, we shared a post highlighting the five women who have been appointed in the Supreme Court. It was quickly viewed as a political and partisan statement, which is not our intent, and we removed the post. It had nothing to do with politics. It was a woman thing. But they did the right thing because the reality is these poor little girls are going to go out and liberals, just like on Twitter, are going to bully them for a tweet about how five women, three of them right now, are on the Supreme Court. It's so bad. You're getting articles like this. John Podoritz. Twitter threats to post echo those of authoritarian states and the media shrugs. It's so true. Do you think it's going to change? Do you think it's going to fucking change? Anybody out there? No. It's going to be worse. As CNN says all the time, state-run media over there on Fox, it's state-run media, even though they're the state-run media for the left. Oh, we're going to have North Korean Central TV. That's the name of the station. Every night talking about the dear leader, Biden, or excuse me, Harris. Not a single one of them will air this. Young minorities saying why they can't back Biden. What was your response to Joe Biden saying you ain't black if you don't vote for him? (laughs) Whenever someone tells me that Trump is racist, I'm like, that is legit the most blatant racist statement I've heard throughout this whole campaign. Amid a movement to paint President Trump and his supporters as racist, we find minorities across the nation continue to stump for him, despite backlash. I'm Jasmine Walk with Campus Reform, and today we're going to speak to young minority conservatives about why they've chosen to support President Trump. (laughs) They want to bring up examples of Trump being racist. Joe Biden's been in government for almost 50 years, and that man was racist. So, Can you lay out certain examples of that? I mean, you have a lot of um, examples of him in the past. There was a video of him with um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, this was back, I, it's either late 80s or early 90s. I don't know the exact date it happened, but he was trying to justify the Confederate flag, which now is a symbol of race and hate. And that's what the left calls it. Now, I don't care what flag you fly. You flag, you fly whatever flag you want. It's not my business. I don't care. But if if they believe it's racist and they believe that it should be taken off the flags and it should be taken off of monuments and off of uh, state capitals, then this man who you are trying to uh, pushed towards the most powerful office in the country. He fought for that. I, if he were to be elected, 
imagine how many more black people will probably be incarcerated. Him and Kamala have contributed to black people's incarceration. But every four years, now you want to come to the black community and say, oh, we ride for you. We'll do this for you. If, you know, if they've done so much against the minority community, how come people are saying that that's the side you should take? Um, honestly, I think it comes from lack of education. It's a culture ingrained thing. Uh, that and then just uh, the media. Those two, at least for my generation, I could tell you are the two biggest reasons we vote left. I think we are a kind of tribalistic uh, species. Whoever around you is like, if everybody is chanting something, you know, we don't like to be the odd person out. It's this whole like victim mentality thing that I don't agree with of like always trying to be like the victim, et cetera, which is really what I feel the left is pushing all the time. So when that comes, I always just make sure to say that like, okay, well, I'm part of this minority group as like a black African-American woman or whatever in college. But I always find when people will say like, or refer to like a certain group, I'm always like, I don't necessarily check all those boxes that you say are supposed to be in this group. If you have those echo chambers where people are telling you Trump is a racist or they're telling you that Biden is the savior, he's going to end COVID and end poverty and, you know, bring us all from the brink of, you know, hell, um, then that's when you're, you're kind of stuck in a mentality of just taking in information, but you're not challenging anything. Nobody will address this. And I, I give him props. He's being truthful. This is the most truthful gay mafia shit I've ever seen. And it sounds like this. Oh, I'm aware that because I'm non-binary, I'm confusing to you. But you're going to have to respect me. You think that getting it comes before respecting me. But it's the other way around. You need to see my humanity. You must respect me and talk to me like a human being. And then maybe later you'll get it. But that's the least important part. That once again is to me, and it always has been on this show, a great analogy of what the left's about. You know, I heard somebody say it the other day, and I think it's really, really true. Uh, Black people had a real beef. An American, Democrat-controlled Southern Saints, you had Jim Crow, you had everything in the world, poll tax, to try to circumvent the end of the Civil War and the freedom for slaves. And it took forever to get that out of it. But we did. The systemic racism bullshit's just that. Bullshit. But then every fucking group, specifically women's right, jumped on it. And now you have the gay community jumping on it. And then attaching it to everything. I didn't put it in my reasons, but intersectionality, the religion of intersectionality, is the true fascism that has taken over the left the 18% of America that will push Biden to do policies that are horrible for America. It's a religion. It's a fucking cult. They 
want to punish people because they hate their lives. The projection of you won't accept me is because you don't accept yourself. If you really want to boil it down, most of us don't give a fuck if you want to be a goat. We just reject the concept that I have to be you. I have to embrace all your norms. I have to accept your lifestyle. I have to accept your lifestyle on the regards of I shouldn't discriminate against you. I shouldn't fire you because I shouldn't. Those are the reasons. But I don't have to believe what you believe. That's antithetical to everything America's about. And it's tied into every policy. So if you take that intro, Trump got a lot accomplished while the entire world was trying to stop him from accomplishing everything and doing a coup to get him out of office. You couple it with the hate, the fascism of every policy the left has, which is driven on by Antifa, BLM, the gay mafia. Those are plenty of reasons to vote for Trump. Which gets us to the reason why I did this show. Because they won't let it go. This is Antifa the movie. They tried to stop it. You can find it at antifamovie.com. It is done by Citizen Journalism Network. David Lugo, director Steve O'Rourke, producer Raheem Kassam, associate producer Matt Schwartz, cinematography John Dutt-Tot. Jack Probasek was pushing it. His brother had gone in and had a deal with these jackasses. And it's a fantastic reason to say no to Biden-Harris. Every Democratic candidate, every media outlet has embraced this fucking group by not outing them. See ya one hour and one minute from now. That's how long it is. I felt like I had no choice but to do what I did. So yeah, kill them. Kill the Nazis. Long live the Constitution Revolution. When conditions become right, people do get the opportunity to change the whole system through a revolutionary struggle. The International Revolutionary People's Guerrilla Forces work to defend social revolutions around the world. We gotta fight it out. We're gonna remake this country in the street. <laughs> <laughs> Liberals get the wall first. Someday, we gotta knock those motherfuckers control this thing right on their ass.
organization Refuse Fascism, refusefascism.org, has put forward a call and a plan and is actively building for that mass mobilization. Police killed a man allegedly trying to burn down a detention center. Seattle anti-fascist knit action is hailing that Antifa disciple as a martyr. Body cam video released by Seattle police show the violent confrontation between officers and protesters. I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. And when conditions become ripe, people do get the opportunity to choose a different system. That is to change the whole system through a revolutionary struggle and a revolutionary transformation. While they do this under the cover of anti-fascism, the reality is that Antifa defines the entire American political system, regardless of party affiliation, as fascism. Some protesters at some building in Portland, Oregon. Is this about the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now? That's, that's right. That's, that's, that's myth. This division, this insurrectionist revolutionary arm of, uh, of American politics, this that Antifa represents, it serves the interests of Russia and China. Because as they seek to weaken America on the world stage, Antifa seeks to usurp and revolt against America here in our own domestic backyard. That is the threat that they pose. That is their goal. They don't support Republicans. They don't support Democrats. They support anarchy and violent revolution. That is who they are. And so those that would benefit from that do include America's foreign adversaries. We all go through our everyday lives through a set of routines. Wake up, get dressed, make coffee, have food, get the kids ready, drop them off, go to work, do your job, come home, repeat. And throughout the course of our days, we're faced with a series of day-to-day -day problems, common stuff, stuff that we know how to deal with. Get a flat tire, you have traffic on your way to work, you have to charge your phone. This is common stuff, these are common problems. But then there's also social problems. And we learn about social problems through the media, through local news, through newspapers, local TV. And every once in a while, local problems, social problems, become national problems. And that's why we have the role of the national media. And that's what the national media is for. To help us be informed about those problems and then also teach us about potential options and solutions to deal with them. But what if there were a problem that the media wasn't telling us about at any level? And what if that problem became a day-to-day -day problem. 
And for some reason, those trusted outlets, or when you go to Twitter trends or Google news, it's not there and it's not found. And what happens when that problem becomes a threat? Not only a threat in one place or one location, but in city after city after city, night after night after night. And you can see the videos and you can find out what's happening. But when you go to those trusted sources and you go to those leaders, they try to downplay it. They say it's just an idea. They say it's nothing to be worried about. I'll tell you to look over here. When something like that does happen, it's time to sit down and have a serious conversation about what is going on. One of the reasons I wanted to do a project like this was because there's so many people out there who have an idea of Anne and Tifa, right? They've, they've seen the people dressed in black. They might know what a black block is. They, they watch the videos on social media. They wake up every morning. They see the videos out there. They say, oh, this is Antifa. Look, there they are again. Look, this is Antifa. See the guys? They've got the A and the shields, you know, the riot shields and everything. There they are. But I wanted to do a project that actually talks about the Antifa to give people an understanding of what this movement actually is, the types of people in it, and the history of this movement and these people. The fact that there are so many various traditions that they are drawing upon that have sort of melded together and blended into what we see today is this iteration of Antifa in the world, Antifa in North America and Western Europe. And I guess if you're looking for a textbook definition of what Antifa is, they are an anti-government extremist organization that seeks the overthrow of the US government through violent insurrection but not just the government, every institution in Western society, because they view Western society as fascist. And so institutions like religions, commerce, banking and finance, uh, social media companies, right? Everything that is currently holding up our society to them is their enemy. And to tell that story, we've got to start at the beginning. This group, this movement that's out there, the various different cells that are organized in different locations around the country, that it actually is part of a much longer history that's drawing from various different traditions around the world because you've, you've got stuff that ties into the anarchist movement of the late 1800s, uh, Chicago, Buffalo, right, William McKinley everything that was going on in Europe prior to World War I. You've also got the communist movements of Asia, the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, the Chinese Communist Revolution, the Chinese Cultural Revolution, the killing fields of Cambodia. All of these things have been melding together for a long time, Spanish Civil War, right? That 
go into what has become this fused group. And it's very hard to pin down any one specific ideology or one specific end state to this group, to this movement. But what they do want is clear. They want an end to society as it currently stands. Their enemy is the status quo. And to use their own words, they will achieve their goals by any means necessary. Antifa is an idea, but it's also a violent terror group that is the tip of the spear of leftist direct action in the United States and throughout the world. Antifa gets a pass from so many institutions because a lot of the mainstream have, in the last 10 years especially, thanks to social media, have really shifted far left. Um, institutions that used to be known as moderate or mainstream or, or commentators or people have gone completely, um, have moved very far left. And I think a lot of this has to do with uh, the, the reinforcement that we see on social media, um, the constant barrage of, of hot takes and one-upsmanship when it comes to uh, when it comes to politics and partisanship and ideology. It used to be that Salon was known as a punchline. The Salon hot take was, you know, completely crazy and, and left-wing. And now Salon is firmly in the mainstream. The New York Times sounds like Salon. And Democratic candidates for president sound like Salon. So, um, of course, the, the media and, and politicians are giving Antifa a pass because they don't really see the radicalism or they don't want to see it. There's been a lot of talk about Antifa being just an idea and I don't think that there's any reason to believe it's just an idea. We've seen countless Facebook groups and social media personas coming out and saying that they identify as Antifa. I think what makes people think it's an idea is this idea of um, self-identifying as Antifa. The way that movements work now is not that you need to attend meetings, you don't need to get a card, you don't need to go to a secret church basement and have a passcode. You just need to say that you're part of it and track it yourself. And that's enough to be involved. You wear the costume, you spout the ideology, you do the things um, you know, that other people who identify that way do, and then you're part of it. It's very much like the Arab Spring situation where people were, um, people were doing the thing, you know? You don't have to join up. Just saying that you're joined up is part of it. So I think that our elected leaders misunderstand it because they don't understand how social media movements work. Their role, honestly, is kind of confusing, I guess. Uh, that's. That's something that I feel most people feel, but no one has really been able to explain why it's confusing for the left. They don't really, they don't know whether to conflate Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and then of course the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, we're told constantly that Antifa is merely an idea of anti-fascism uh, and not an organization. However, that's antithetical to what the original Antifa actually was, the original Antifa was an organization that sparked from an idea. And so I, I feel like when, when they say that it's not an organization as if that's something to like, 
to, to just celebrate. I feel like that's disingenuous and it also just makes me question the motives of those who do uplift uh, Antifa because as a historian of leftist activism movements from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, uh, one thing that I do know is that if they were genuinely on the side of the BLM activists that they sometimes protest beside, uh, you know, in, in other leftists, then they would be being vehemently attacked by all sides of the mainstream media. Uh, they would not necessarily have allies in what I like to refer to as a neoliberal media. My name is Gabriel Nadalas. I'm a former Antifa activist. And the first time I put on the black mask and I really became part of the anti-fascist movement was in 2011. And I remember wanting to do this because I saw that a bunch of neo-Nazis were going to organize really close to my city, about 10, 15 minutes away. And at that point, I had already been a left-wing activist. I, I attended different pro-union marches as well as uh, pro-immigration rallies. But that was the very first time that I did something radical, if you will. At that point, I remember meeting a lot of different activists uh, who were also wearing the black mask, being part of the black bloc. And that's kind of how I got introduced to the anti-fascist movement. They invited me to other events um, all throughout Southern California, including the anarchist book fairs in Los Angeles and, and Orange County. And at some point, I have no idea how I started doing this, but I was breaking windows like I did once for uh, I broke a McDonald's windows. Another thing that I did, I I went to the home of a CEO and we were shouting threats outside his house simply because we wanted to, quote unquote, hold him accountable for his crimes against nature. Uh, to be honest, I don't even know exactly what he did. I just know that somehow he was culpable. When you look back at the history of Antifa, where it comes from, which countries have had Antifa there, it's very clear that it always started in the way it seems to be starting here in the United States. They start with some uh, vandalism, common vandalism. Then they move on to bigger targets, things like uh, local government buildings. Then, you know, you get the federal courthouses. Maybe they're looting at first, smashing some private businesses up, a few punch-ups on the street with opposing groups. But when Antifa really gets going, you look at the Red Army brigades in Italy for, as an example. You look at the Red Army faction, the Baden-Meinhof gang in Germany, and they get very brazen very quickly, especially if it's not addressed. You've seen the kidnapping and murder of politicians that oppose Antifa. You've seen them bombing the U.S. Army base in Frankfurt. You know, the Red Army brigades in Italy went very quickly from being just a kind of low-level gang to being a domestic terror organization that wreaked havoc, not just upon the lives of ordinary people, the lives of police officers. Think about where we've seen that before. But also on the lives of ordinary people. You're starting to see it here in the United States as well, with Antifa and their brigades targeting ordinary people who are standing up for their businesses, ordinary people who are standing up for their neighborhoods. People are being murdered here in the United States for standing up to Antifa. 
So I think it's very important that we look at the history of this organization. There is an ideology called anti-fascism. Now this is a blend of anti-government extremism, of both anarchism and communism. However, in the same way that radical Islam is an idea, there are various groups that have been formed aligned on this idea. ISIS, Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda. Many different types and many different shades of ideology there. And it's the same way with anti-fascism and anarchists. Some anarchists are pure anti-government, but they're not communist. Some anarchists do want to institute communism, but all of those fall under the banner of anti-fascism. And in many areas of the United States, the cells are growing. I think this is a key question. When we see the different people moving, uh, moving from, from city to city, we know that there's a significant network. And this is something that, this is something presumably that uh, federal law enforcement should be looking at. Look, I've, I've had different people say that this looks like you know, what it looks like is it looks like a it looks like a special forces operation, right? When we're talking about logistics, when we're talking about the different things that are on the ground, the different things that uh, that different Antifa operatives or activists or whatever we want to describe them, what they're looking for and how they know how to find them. I mean, these are very significant things. This gives us a clue to the fact that this is, that this is an organization. We know that there's money behind it. We see how people move from low-cal to low-cal. So again, the idea that somehow this is just, uh, this is just an, um, an ad hoc matter and these people just come together and they join or they combine over this one idea is, is preposterous. And of course, then again, if we're getting to the idea, well, what is the idea? Are we really talking about fascists in the United States? What do they look like, right? What do fascists look like? Do people really believe that Donald Trump is a fascist? Do people really believe that? Do they believe then that the more than 60 million Americans who voted for them, are they fascists as well? Are we looking at the prelude to an enormous conflict in the United States because tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people have had their brains washed and poisoned that their neighbors and fellow Americans are also fascists. So again, to come back to the idea that this is an idea, ideas have consequences. This is what politics are about, consequential ideas. So again, it cannot be dismissed as simply an idea. Ideas uh, attract adherence. They attract money. They grow networks. This is what ideas are about in politics. Germany in the 1930s became the right place for all the wrong people. Ernst Talman was the kind of guy who knew how to take orders and not ask too many questions about them. He fit right in with the new wave that Stalin's boys were pushing after the death of Lenin. In fact, Ernst came over from Germany at Stalin's call to be a flagman at the funeral of Lenin in Moscow, earn his stripes and all that. Trotsky and all the other intellectuals either got out of the way or were gotten out of the way. Stalin didn't have much use for them. But Ernst was his kind of guy, and so he became Stalin's man in Berlin, son of a bartender, member of the working class. First, Ernst started up the Red Front Fighting Brigades, organized as the military militia of the German Communist Party. 
but the Weimar cracked down on them, and they were banned. Another anti-Weimar Workers' Party started up too. They called themselves the National Socialists. Moscow told Ernst they weren't the real enemy. The Republic was. So Ernst fought the Republic, called them social fascists. Sometimes they even worked with Adolf's followers, called the Brown Shirts. Moscow wanted Ernst to get his militia back. So in 1932, he started up a new one called Anti-Fascist Action. But it didn't last long. Adolf took over, and Ernst's comrades sold him out. He ended up in prison. His wife wrote to Stalin to get him out. After all, Ernst was just following orders, but Stalin never wrote back. And in the end, Ernst wound up shot in the head by the SS. And that was the end of the founder of Antifa. That's what he got for following all those orders. We live in a civilization, and civilization is remarkably fragile. And we're just, we're just destroying it on purpose because we think it's not good enough. But the fact that we can be aware that it's not good enough, the fact that we can recognize how much better we can be is not a reason to destroy what we have. It's a reason to say, okay, everything we've done to date has gotten us to this rather spectacular civilization with freedoms and, you know, for the most part, lots of equality. We have equality under the law. There's still a ways to go, of course, isn't there always, but there is no end. There is no final product of perfect civilization. That is a complete fallacy. In fact, the very notion of utopia was a satire written by Sir Thomas More um, to show that there's no such thing as a perfect society. And we use the word to, we think we're saying, you know, that it means something perfection, but it, it just doesn't. The entire concept of utopia is dystopic in itself. Um, we should be building on what we have instead of saying that it hasn't gotten us where we want to go yet. Of course it hasn't gotten us where we want to go yet. You know, but the fact that we can visualize it, the fact that we can see more opportunity and more inclusion, um, more freedom, more liberty, more self-expression means that we're on the right track and destroying it is not going to get us there. It'll just reverse it. So it's been a couple of months since we were there, but I wanted to sit down and interview somebody about Chaz. And when I thought about it, I said, you know, the person I've got to interview is the person who was there with me on the ground day after day, night after night, wearing the black mask. My brother. I couldn't really liken it to anything aside from maybe like a concert I had been to or just like another protest. But um, I was very willing to, to show up, be a part of it, and see what it was really about. It was made me very curious when there was the statement that a country was being formed inside of our own country. So that would made me very curious. And to see that it was growing and no one was taking action to to slow it down or just outright stop it. What was it like the first time you walked up to those barricades and set foot inside Chaz? I was expecting it to be scary and, and have, you know, 
people dressed in black and one of the first one of the first memories of walking up was that to the barricades like you had antifa guy antifa guy you know the general black backpack the red and then there's like one two three and at the end was a guy just a regular guy but in a full knight's costume or a getup when it was authentic and i went up to him and i took a selfie with him he's like jack where are we like is this the renaissance fair or what what does it mean inside chaz when someone's having a bad day as we were walking up you remember there was a one guy he was having a bad day in his beamer which was like we we came on to the the uh the perimeter and uh yeah, this guy was just, you know, you had Chaz and you had like free food, free drinks, people doing sidewalk chalk. And then this guy without his shirt on just punching his windshield out. It's a new country. I, you know, he probably thought he could do whatever he wanted. I don't know. But yeah, that lasted well over an hour. And that theme would continue throughout the weekend where something that did not fit the narrative occurred and they were ill-equipped to handle the situation physically or mentally or spiritually. So the, the street preacher, that was not long after <laughs> the same day, Saturday afternoon. And we would find out later that he was actually a street preacher. It wasn't some type of LARPer. Uh, he and two other individuals were there carrying on missionary work. You know, he was attempting to go down the main street to one of the stages and get on the stage to preach the gospel. He wasn't intoxicated. He wasn't being violent. He didn't have any weapons. How were they treating him? Terribly. Dragging him across the street. And that was, that, that, that blew up on the internet like shortly after. He was taking a stand, really. He was like, people need to hear what I have to say. Why won't you let me go on the stage and say what I want to say? That's where he was coming from. But they said, no, you're not allowed on the stage. They were on his neck at one point and like smothering him with his own backpack pinned up against the fence. Um, multiple guys. He had a Bluetooth speaker that he wanted to preach from and he was just curled up in a fetal position with his speaker. And even still, completely, like, basically silent, but they still held him against the fence. You were filming it, and I was standing by, and people would walk by and be like, hey, what's going on here? And I would tell them. But if it was a, it was a Chaz security, they would say, oh, nothing. You know, this guy's just having a bad time. Like, you know, it. you don't really, it's, it's nothing. You know, you don't really need to record that, like... You know, we, we got it under control. You got to give credit to the preacher himself because he kept he kept up his fight for over an hour, and he would he kept going up the hill, and they kept following him, and even his buddies were like, "Dude, let's get out of here. We got to go." And he said, "No, thank God he wasn't injured. I I was expecting that, honestly. I mean, even broad daylight because I'm still getting acclimated to this." the situation like it's a new country um i was very much interested in with like violence and how that was you know treated a few days later people people got shot and then only then were actual ambulances 
called in. So what did it mean then that all of Chaz started with the East Precinct police standing down, given that stand down order, they flee the area for about a month. And then Chaz builds their own emergency response force and police force because it wasn't a utopia, because problems kept happening. So you don't have police force there, and you do have these social workers or these gra medical students, graduate students, pretending to be medics, but they don't do anything. They don't take action. We dressed like them. We acted like them. We made sure they wouldn't be able to tell who we were, and we blended in. We stayed there for the days. We stayed there for the nights. We saw what they wanted us to see and what they didn't want us to see. Less than a week after I left Seattle, the shootings began. All in all, there were five shootings in Chaz on four separate evenings. These shootings left four black teenagers dead and three others wounded. In the final shooting, anarchist militias that had been running the barricades opened fire, it's reported, on two black teenagers driving an SUV, killing one of them. Warlord Raz, who had been handing out guns inside the area, was nowhere to be found after all this. He disappeared, and Mayor Jenny Durkin promptly blamed the entire situation on someone else. So, to really think about Antifa, a lot of people say that there's no organization, but that's not true. There's actually three levels of organizing. Um, there's a lot of people at the bottom who cycle out, kind of like me. We were there for about a year, and then we kind of just move on thinking either, well, I became a conservative activist, but some people, they just kind of go in, on their lives, and then it's something that they look back on. Those who stay longer, I would put them in regional organizing. Regional organizers are people who are typically leaders of their own collectives. And now these collectives typically don't have the name Antifa, but they're groups like uh, the Redneck Revolt or even certain chapters of the Black Lives Matter. Those are more regional people that have been in the anti-fascist movement for several years. Now, once you stay in the movement for so long that you became nationally recognized, those are people like Mark Bray who wrote the book Antifa, the anti-fascist handbook. The only reason he was able to write such a book is because he spent several years in the movement and until he became well-known all throughout the regional movements and he was able to interview different Antifa activists all throughout. But at the same time, this is an informal way of organizing because any one of these people could lose their respect or the trust of everybody and then be shunned from the community as a whole. Let's take a step back and realize that a lot of liberal pundits were literally saying we have a fascist who's being elected here, right? Now, the question I would ask is, is do we think that Trump is a fascist or a fascistic or authoritarian figure or not? Let's just say, assume for the sake of argument that we think he is. What does that mean our politics should look like, right? Does it mean that we should go about business as usual, hold signs, make little memes? Or does it mean that we should grind the country to a halt and say this racist person running our country is a huge threat that people will lose their lives by being deported, by being deprived of health care, by being incarcerated, by being killed by police, and make it so that we will not accept business as usual. That was the stated rationale for the organizers of that march, which was essentially, to the degree that they could, business as usual will not proceed 
if we bring a fascist or an authoritarian or fill-in-the-blank racist, awful human being to run this country in a way that will necessarily cost lives, maybe breaking shit is a way to make that clear. That was the, the rationale for the people who engaged in property destruction at the march. Whether or not people find that to be a convincing rationale all has to do with your assessment of the situation in your politics. But that's where the that's where the, the the perspective was coming from, and in that sense, I think is in line with an anti-fascist perspective, which is you assume that when people say that they they want to uh, organize some sort of authoritarian racist society, that they mean it. A lot of my experience comes from reporting in the Middle East. I lived in Lebanon for several years, you know, where Hezbollah is the main is the is the the only existing armed militia inside of Lebanon, and Hezbollah is Hezbollah is a front for Iranian interest on the Eastern Mediterranean. Actually, now with the Syrian war and other things, it represents Iranian interest around the region, and that is actually how I see Antifa. It's a frontline militia that represents different uh, that represents different represents and fights for different uh, different. I'm not sure if I would say simply Democratic Party causes the way that I've come to think of it. I've come to think of it much more in terms of a uniparty. There are there are shared interests, and if we if we put together the if we put together the timeline of what's happened in the United States since the uh, since the descent or advent, everyone would describe it, of the coronavirus. If we put the coronavirus together with the uh, with the activities of Antifa, the raising and looting of American cities, I mean, I think that's rather significant. And that is how it's supposed to be looked at. I mean, if you look at the price that neighborhoods, that small businesses have paid, and you look at the different people who have uh, the different people who have profited, and I hope this isn't taking it too far away from where you want to go, but I come to, I've come to think of these people. I mean, the the. I mean, the different bodies and institutions and people who have profited most from the the ravages of the coronavirus and, again, the raising and looting of American cities, both the communist, uh, the Chinese Communist Party and what I call in the United States the China class, which is the corporate, political, and cultural elite uh, whose center of gravity is its relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. So... I see it much more like that than in terms of, uh, than strictly in terms of Democratic Party interest. I see it as a much larger and much more dangerous thing. And again, this is why I believe that, uh, why Antifa has become, uh, unfortunately, but indeed more relevant than it has been in the last several years. I mean, I think that for, I think that people perceive there is a real, fight going on and there's a threat to their interest and this is one of the things that makes Antifa so significant so significant for them and why they uh, I think probably existential is probably a pretty good way to put it insofar as their interest again their center of gravity is tied to their relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. The main goal of Chairman Mao's cultural revolution in the late 60s was to destroy every vestige of one of humanity's oldest cultures. And to a remarkable degree, it succeeded. In America, the social justice revolution shares some features of the Chinese cultural revolution. The goal of the revolutionaries was insurrection, overthrow of the republic, 
and from within replacing it with a new order. In many cases, their tactics and concepts are similar, tearing down traditional culture, going after dissidents, priests, the religious, capitalists, finance centers, anyone who stands in their way. Struggle sessions, rumor mongering, going after people for making comments that were seen as anti-revolutionary. These were all part and parcel of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. The main group mobilized by Mao to carry out these acts was called the Red Guards. Hong Weibing, the Red Guards were an organization of Chinese youth the Chairman Mao set up directly to be his loyal soldiers in the streets. He didn't trust the police and the military to do exactly what he wanted, so he bypassed them. Chairman Mao broadcast their extremist manifestos on national radio and had it printed in the official communist propaganda newspapers, such as People's Daily, using the slogans, Bombard the Headquarters, It is Right to Rebel, and Great Chaos Under Heaven. The Holocaust Memorial Museum estimates the death toll of the Cultural Revolution as between 5 and 10 million people. During that time, communist revolutionaries shut down nearly every school and institution of higher learning in the country so that the only education could come from the revolution. Killings became the norm. Some people took their own way out, and suicides skyrocketed. In the end, after millions had been killed, and millions more had been subject to the struggle sessions, the only way to stop the militant millions of youth was for Mao to use the military to come in and quell the Red Guards. Caught up in the fervor of fighting a supposed evil, citizens killed their fellow citizens in peacetime and committed acts of ritualistic, ideological murder in the name of revolution. A lot of the people who I met who once were part of the Black Bloc, they were really looking for something to believe in. I mean, they, they really despised fascism, of course, but then they make it seem like everything that they don't like is fascism. And they really see themselves as heroes, as some sort of vigilante justice. They actually believe that beating up people and breaking windows is somehow going to quash fascism. And at the end of the day, the reason so many people join is because they want to see themselves as like a revolutionary who is part of something greater than they are. They know that or they believe that just reading a book and try to act within the political process, that is not going to be enough for them. They want instant gratification and they believe that what they're doing is righteous when in the end of the day, they're only attacking innocent people. And that's what this mentality is all about. Antifa is not about talking to people or trying to look for a better solution or trying to find uh, a, build a better society. It is always about intimidation and violence against those who you do not like. Uh, I think the other th important thing to remember is that the Democrat Party and really the left in general has always, from, from its very beginnings in this country and anywhere abroad, has had the, um, the capability of violent direct action in its doctrinal toolkit. They can, they can always call on people to, um, to, to get violent or to cause public disturbance or to... They really understand what it means to show force 
and force means people on the streets, force means people breaking property and, and doing just sort of a little bit um, of, of, uh, of, of, of damage in a city. Sometimes people get crazy and they will murder, um, but really what these groups want to do is they want to create a, a level of violence that's sort of just in that sweet spot where causing overreaction is what they want to try to do on the part of police or on the part of the authorities or let's say, you know, what they consider to be the forces of, of, of fascism, you know, being, you know, the, the Portland Police Department, for example. Um, and uh, so they don't want the heat to come down too hard on them, um, but then they also want to be able to go far enough to demoralize. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to create a space and, and create an atmosphere where their political and ideological opponents are afraid to do anything. They're afraid to express themselves on the street. They're, 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 what they're creating is an environment where their ideology is, um, is really the only one that's, that's allowed. And they've successfully been able to create this space in a lot of blue cities. Historically, this is one of the things that we've seen in the Middle East for, for at least half a century. Of course, the Iranians went to train in Lebanon. We saw, uh, we saw what happened. We saw different German uh, armed, armed groups. We saw the different armed Japanese groups. Uh, so the Middle East is a, plane for, is, a, is a place for people who are training in terrorism and training, training for combat. This, this is where they go the, because the Middle East is... A, the Middle East is a, is a, is a, is a freak show. It's a, it's, a, it's a wild west. So the people who are, you know, plotting, uh, plotting terrorist operations or plotting different uh, terrorist programs, it's a perfectly convenient place for them to go and get tr lots of training. Antifa has always looked for ways to rekindle the glory days of anti-fascism on the battlefield. And in the mid-2010s, they found an unlikely opportunity. The Syrian Civil War. Just as ISIS recruited Westerners to its cause, so too did other factions in the Civil War, ones that have not received much scrutiny from our media or national leaders. Some studies show that as many as 800 traveled to the violent border area of northeast Syria to fight in what they called the Rojava Revolution. Again, they took the name International Anti-Fascist Brigades. A study by King's College of London showed that the largest number of foreign fighters were hundreds of Americans, followed by British, French, Canadians, and of course, Germans. Their goal was to aid the local militias in creating a new, stateless, anarchist country. These local militia were in fact the Syrian arm of the PKK, a terrorist-designated group by the United States, the European Union, and Turkey. But of course, because the international media was on their side, they were praised for this. This is our Stalingrad. The revolution must be defended. Therefore, we announce the creation of the International Revolutionary People's Guerrilla Forces to defend the revolution in Rojava. Comrades, in the occasion of the 101st anniversary of the great October Socialist Revolution, we as communists in Rojava are sending greetings to all our brothers and sisters around the world. 
The October Revolution showed us that a revolutionary change is possible, even in the darkest times of tyranny and oppression. Ist die ICOR, die auf Initiative der linksextremen deutschen MLPD gegründet wurde. Naja, als äh, Kommandant bin ich der erste Verantwortliche, bevor du hier hingekommen bist. Also warst du lange bei der Antifa? Antifa, autonome Szene, solche Aktivitäten. Am Ende halt internationalistische Politik. Im Frühjahr 2012 haben die Freunde uns dann gefragt, ob, äh, ob wir nicht nach Kurdistan gehen wollen. Als ich das erste Mal in den Norden gefahren bin, habe ich halt verstanden, so, dass sie das leben, woran sie glauben. Und äh, das hat mich überzeugt, dass die kurdische Bewegung halt Revolution macht. I would ask them, uh, which is something I've asked every leftist who supports Antifa, the quote-unquote organization, Where were you at in Standing Rock? That's something that has sat wrong with me uh, at a very deeply personal level. As somebody who literally got with friends and drove all the way to North Dakota in the middle of the blizzard that happened there, that required a state of emergency to be called. Where were you when cops were shooting a young college student and her arm? was almost taken off because of it. Where the indigenous woman was shot by a rubber bullet and her eye got taken out. Where were you? I don't understand how you could possibly think that whatever Trump has incited in your mind is worse than that when Obama promised to take care of the indigenous people and instead allowed his executive power to push for a pipeline that almost cost indigenous people their lives and absolutely did cost indigenous people their land. And if you're curious as to whether or not it was faster, so not the Supreme Court said that that pipeline was not legal. And so it had to be removed anyway. So that would have been the opportunity where eventually the law proved that you were on the right side of history, even though that shouldn't be what uh, the minimum required requirement for being on the right side of history is, but you were nowhere to be found. So why is it that you only appear during Trump And if we get Biden, the civility fascists, are you just going to disappear again? Because if that's the case, then you're not truly anti-fascist. And a history of obsession, violent ideations, include mass shootings and had expressed a desire to commit a mass shooting. The FBI now investigating evidence they say shows Connor Betts was exploring violent ideology. ABC News has also learned of a now-deleted Twitter account believed to be linked to Betts, describing himself as an anime fan, a metalhead, and a leftist. We're learning disturbing new details about the madman who carried out the massacre in Dayton. 24-year-old Connor Betts fantasized about killing people as far back as high school. We found eerie photos on his MySpace page showing his face covered in a bandana. In another, he's wearing a gas mask. He posted these bizarre writings, bloody massacre, absolute carnage, and all must be annihilated. He also tweeted, I am going to hell and I'm not coming back. Among the nine he shot to death, his own 22-year-old sister, Megan. You know, another, like, viral clip that came up on Twitter, and it was in Seattle. Um, and it was a group of young girls, and they were walking into a residential street late at night. 
maybe 20 of them. You can't really see it, uh, how many there are, but they have a megaphone and they're, they're chanting together, you know, the call and response. Um, we're fighting for you. We're fighting for you. We're fighting for you. And they're calling up to these homes. And then one of them yells, Michaela, we see you. Come march with us. Come march with us. Um, and that's part of this ethos of dragging people out into the street to be part of your movement so that you can help them is such a perverse way to look at social action. Shaming people for not joining in your march, you know, burning down their stuff because they're not joining you or because, you know, you want them to be doing something else. You don't respect their freedom. You just want to do what you want to do. Uh, it's really very poisonous. It's very, it's Marxist, which I think that we have heard. I think the word has been heard so many times over the summer that this is a Marxist movement. Antifa is definitely a Marxist movement and it has its roots in, you know, they say that they're anti-fascist, but there's a very thin line between being opposed to um, overarching government reach into your personal life and wanting to be that reach yourself. And that's sort of where we've landed with this, you know. And there's so there, there's so little things that you can join and be a part of, especially this summer. The one thing that our government has permitted us to do is to protest and burn the city down. I, I can't even count how many times this summer I said, you know, the only thing we're allowed to do in New York City is burn it down. Um, people have criticized me for saying that because... They're saying, oh, you just don't want to wear a mask. You know, we have to stay inside to save people and all of this. And it just doesn't make any sense that the way to access and maintain freedom is by giving away all of our rights just one by one and pretending that we're not doing it. I want to show you what's going on right now while I tell you what we've just learned about this suspect. The Pierce County Medical Examiner has identified him as 69-year-old Willem Van Spronson of Vashon Island. He has a criminal history that included assault on a police officer and violating a no-contact order for domestic violence. This evening, officers are serving warrants at his home on Vashon Island to collect evidence in this case. Now, there was a protest event outside here uh, last night, and another was supposed to happen this afternoon. A few people who gathered out here believe he may have been at last night's event, but they're not sure why he would have come back here early this morning with a weapon. By the time officers arrived, police say Willem Van Spronsen had already burned one car to the ground and was trying to ignite a large propane tank next to the building. Police say he was also holding a rifle when he threw those devices. A car you see there caught fire, but not the building. Police then got in a shootout with Van Spronsen. That's when he was shot and killed. We were pretty friendly as neighbors, but, you know, it's, it's Vashon. Everybody kind of keeps himself a little bit, but we did talk. For me, he was just, he was a kind of a gentle soul, very thoughtful, creative, um, very soft-spoken, but, you know, he was a deep thinker. As a car rally in support of President Trump was wrapping up. More insight into the shooting at a downtown Portland protest last weekend. The suspect, Michael Rynell, was shot and killed by police last night when they went to arrest him. 
We want to warn you, some of this video is graphic. The affidavit includes this surveillance photo, which shows Rynell inside a parking garage earlier Saturday night as the victim, Jay Danielson, walks by. Rynell can then be seen following them. Look as we slow the clip down and zoom in. The U.S. Attorney General's office released a statement Friday saying local authorities had an arrest warrant for the suspect who had fled. confident that my friend and I'm sure I would have been killed because I wasn't going to stand there and let something happen. To be clear, he hasn't been arrested or charged. We didn't go looking for him and we have no information where he is now. Yeah, you see him? They doing CPR on him. They lit his ass up. Not a lot of people seem to realize that the German Red Army faction, the Baden-Meinhof gang, was still in operation until 1998, just over 20 years ago. That's an incredibly recent thing. What do you think has happened in that time? Do you think that they've just gone away? Do you think that these people have just sort of returned to normal day-to-day -day life? That we know from the 1960s in the US hasn't happened. You still have the same hard-left agitators and activists all over the country. And it didn't happen in Europe either. You know, the thing that people really need to pay very close attention to with Antifa is that it's certainly not just an idea, as some on the left would have us believe, but also how much work actually takes place on a transatlantic basis. How much is Antifa coordinated across our two continents? And who are the groups the politicians, the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations, the think tanks, the charities that help Antifa grow. There are a lot of them. There are a lot of these charities, these non-governmental organizations, what we call quangos, quasi-non-governmental groups. They get taxpayer stipends, taxpayer funding, and they actually assist and abet violent left-wing extremists like Antifa to achieve their end goals. There are several college administrators that provide ideological cover for Antifa. And we can even call it Antifa light because they are doing the exact same thing. They'll say, oh, this conservative student is promoting uh, racist views or fascist views when he's just talking about economics or he's just talking about, uh, I don't know, the environment, whatever it may be, so long as it's conservatives, so many college professors see it as their duty to shut down that type of speech. They have forgotten that they go to a university to teach students how to think, not what to think. They see themselves as, as activists first and educators second. And in the end of the day, um, that's exactly what Antifa is doing on the streets. They're actually trying to shut down people who they disagree with instead of trying to understand the other side. There's another problem here too which is the uh, uh, news consumers, media consumers. Why aren't they enraged? Why don't they demand more? Why does it appear that they're actually part of this thing? There are certain things that we're not going to say about our friends in Antifa, what they're doing, what they're about. And again, this is another entirely bizarre aspect. Is it that everyone understands that this is about Donald Trump? And this is about Donald Trump supporters. And this is to support certain interests. So we're not going to say bad things out of school. And again, this is really third world stuff because this is how it goes in the Arab world. We don't air our dirty laundry. Is that what's happening here? 
that news audiences, the residents of places like Washington, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, they'll talk about it quietly, but they won't make a big point. You can talk to people who left certain neighborhoods in Los Angeles because they were scared that the violence might reach them off of, say, Pico Boulevard or something like that. But they won't talk about it out loud. They won't say their different concerns. They leave L.A. and they'll go somewhere else. Same here. Look at all the people who have left New York City. Look at the size of Washington, D.C., how Washington has shrunk over the last several months. Everyone knows what's going on. Everyone knows about the violence. So the fact that CNN, The Washington Post, The Times, MSNBC is not covering it, it's not the... That's only one of the symptoms. Another one of the symptoms is the fact that none of the people who live here is making a big deal about it. So where are we? The year is 2020. America is on the verge of something. Everybody feels that. It's something you can't see, it's out of sight. But you feel it all around you all the time. When you drive your car, when you sit on the train, when you eat your dinner, when you lay down in bed at night. It's like everyone's trying to get a peek of what's right around the corner, but nobody wants to actually see what's really there. And that's what it feels like when there's a shift in the wind. You know, we used to talk about is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? But now it's like the glass is tipping over. Now there's some people that want to set it right and want to put it back. But there's other people that want to knock it all the way down. You put together enough bitterness, resentment, mistrust, nihilism, and you have a recipe for taking down one of the greatest creations in human history. They say, get a big enough lever and you can move the world. But they never talk about what happens after. Maybe the world isn't perfect, but maybe where it was before is better than where it's going. And maybe the people doing the pushing haven't thought about what happened when it all comes down. As Eric Hoffer wrote, not every movement needs a God, but every movement needs a devil. Politicians, media, activists, and authority figures called up dark primal forces. As history shows, the results are catastrophic. The goal of the revolution is the revolution. It's a pretty shocking piece. There's others out there, but the concept of the media that's tried to run, the left has tried to run, that it's just an idea, is a lie. And everybody knows it's a lie, yet they get away with the lie. But as we've seen over the last four years, everything's a lie. That's why people are running around think it's going to be a Trump landslide. Because they don't believe anything they see. And that's not brought on by Trump saying, you know, fake news. It's by the media running with all this crap culminating with Mr. Anonymous. 
How do you trust these people? How do they ever get their credibility back? Because if Biden wins, it's eight years or four years, maybe eight. But four years of scandal-free. He does no wrong. I mean, that's just scary, folks. The whole thing's scary, but it's it's scary. We go to propaganda mode. Now we've done disinformation mode. And I wanted to end on two articles, or three, really. SEAL Team 6 rescues American hostage in daring West African raid. It was not even covered. It like It's like it didn't even happen. And at the same time, the AP that I talked about, because this is usually our worst things of the day, but it just followed a movie that's just terrible. AP explains, why does France incite anger in the Muslim world? It's brutal colonial past, staunch secular policies, and tough-talking president who is seen as insensitive towards Muslim faith all play a role. Greg Gutfeld, after innocents are beheaded, this is the AP's take. And did you see the skirt France war? Chad Felix Green. You can always tell a left-wing Twitter, a writer, excuse me, always. No one else looks at someone being beheaded over insulting a religion and babbles on about historic colonialism and insensitivity to other faiths. Non-Christian. I didn't put it in my things to vote against Biden. But I mentioned it. The re- lack of religious respect the left has for non-Muslims is no different here than it is anywhere else in the world. They hate Christians. Christians don't think like them, thus Christians don't folk like them, thus Christians must be bad. That's the slide rule. It's a simple math formula. But to try to justify beheading people in a street gave me flashbacks to Obama. San Bernardino ring a bell? And for four years, we haven't, knock on wood, had an attack in the United States. But we had attacks under Obama. And the media justified it, blamed us, blamed Christians, blamed something, and invariably covered for the Obama administration. Something you don't have now. Could you imagine if a San Bernardino happened now with Trump? And then our last thing, because this is long with an hour movie in it. Kirstie Alley. I want you to think, is this normal? Is this what media is supposed to do? I now know why my personal friends who walk around in sheer terror of contracting COVID are simply CNN viewers. I decided to watch CNN myself to get their viewpoint, and oh my God, did I ever. If you too want to live in terror, watch CNN. Fear of dying, dying is their mantra. This is not a hashtag. I hashtag, I at. She didn't do that. CNN Communications. Now I know it's some liberal intern. Kirsty, you're welcome to change the channel, just like countless viewers did every time Veronica's Closet came on TV. But don't downplay a loss of nearly 230K American lives. And please wear a mask. 
Her reply, meow, if only you paid as much attention to Joe Biden's alleged corrupt business dealings as a TV show that was rated top 10 in 97. Guess you got that wrong, too. Head slap. She continues, find one tweet I've tweeted to encourage people not to wear masks or not to be careful or that has said anything disrespectful about six people or those who've died. There isn't one. This is how fake information spread. Replies. Oh my God, you struck a nerve with an intern. Chuck Celesto. CNN tries to clap back at Kirstie Alley. They have lost most all credibility and all professionalism associated with journalism. Another reply, don't ever let them tell you that CNN is unprofessional and petty. Kirsty, be happy he told you to do what millions of viewers have done, and that's change the channel. CNN mocking someone's rating is truly rich for a news network that frequently trails the Hallmark Channel, Airport Radar, Radar and the Laundromat webcam feed. And lastly, Chuck Ross. CNN mocking someone's rating is truly rich for a news network that frequents trails, Hallmark Channel, Airport Radio, and it's, he fucking doubled himself. I don't know why they, they did that. But if I click that tweet right now, it's still up. So you can't say it's an intern. You can't say an intern did this. All those crazy interns. That's a news agency, and I do gigantic air quotes. But they're not far off from the rest of them. And if for some reason Biden wins, we're going to go back into the dark ages of we do not cover anything. I mean, this week, and I didn't cover it because I'm trying to do a short podcast, just get something out before election day of stuff I had. A sitting congresswoman went on and said that the Supreme Court has a lower rating, is not respected by the American people. It seems like a simple thing. But if a Republican said that, it would be fact checked because it's wrong it's completely wrong it's grounded in nothing the fact is 54% of Americans respect the Supreme Court it's Congress that is disrespected by the American people I mean, for fuck's sake, you couldn't get away with that. You just couldn't. That would not be acceptable if you were a Republican. Everything is challenged in our meeting. Every constant thing is challenged. Everything is blamed on Trump. Every conservative is held accountable for every fucking pundit, radio show host. You just fucking name it. But that's what's on stake. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Yeah, there's going to be riots. People are going to get beat. Shit's going to get burned down. The media is going to continue being fucking stupid. 
But is that a reason to vote against somebody? I just want it to go away. I want to appease the mob. If these people win, they then believe that's the technique going forward. So every four years, really, fuck that, every two years, riots, big tech getting involved in everything and censoring the opponent, which is anybody who's not a liberal. Mob rules on Twitter. New York Times still does its headlines and stories based on what Twitter wants. It's a clusterfuck on epic proportions. We reward them for everything evil they've done. So a vote for Donald Trump is like a parent sending a child to their room, removing their phone electronics, and saying, you need to think about your actions. That's what it's at stake in 48 hours. Reward, mobs, burnings, beatings, horrible media conduct, liberal policies that are all about one party, are rejected and send them to their fucking room. Because that's where they belong. So this wraps up another episode of Flavor Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com get the show on soundcloud podcast attic tune in radio itunes blueberry stitch stitcher down and pocket cast remember to check out the f- twitter account at fop tony reed our next podcast will be the day after election for november year of our lord 2020 unless something earth shattering happens which i doubt will happen Before I close out, I want to give a shout out to Sean in Oregon. It's his birthday today. We were to do a class. I blew him off and screwed up the schedule like 45 times. Today is birthday. And being that he's a better person than me, he said, I'm so sorry. He had no reason. I'm a dick. I blew him off twice by having a broken water heater and going to the lake. So um, enjoy your birthday, young man. I hope it's a fantastic one. To all those that helped on these podcasts, I want to give a shout out to new listeners. Shout out. A lot of listens this week. About 700 listens. So I thank everybody new that's listening to it. And I once again want to tell you to go watch Anna Fa the movie. Wasn't my work, but I wanted to air it because I think it's an incredible movie. Dispelling all the rumors. It's a terrorist organization. And this week with so many people doing the comparison between Trump rallies and convoys to ISIS, it was really important to show, no, the left is like ISIS. The left beats people for wearing clothes or saying words they don't like. The right peaceably assembles and drives around in cars with flags they just don't like. To hammer the point home, Nobody covers them either. It's unbelievable. From now until Wednesday, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. Ignore the polls and vote. Vote. I still have a glimmer of hope that at least Donald Trump will win, which will block the one-party rule policies of the Democratic Party that are extremely 
fascist, and extreme. Because I just don't think people tell the truth. It takes great courage to say, I'm voting for Trump. Because people get beat, doxxed, and lose their jobs for saying it. As always, ending one last time with a montage of fucking hate. Take care. Thanks for listening. See you Wednesday. Hopefully with the same president. I, I, I just don't States. even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Mm-hmm. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and our honoring our Constitution are are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And part of the challenge we have as a nation is that a significant swath of Americans still support Donald Trump. They support his vision of America, and that is rooted in racism. It is rooted in a desire for power at the expense of everyone who is black and brown. And so what we have in this problem is a, is a, is a spiritual kind of tyranny of the worst impulses, uh, you know, as uh, Dr. Meacham said, um, you, know, nar- you know, sort of weaponizing narcissism. That will send a shockwave through this country. And Donald Trump may not accept the results, but who gives a because the rest of the country will be forced to. I'm at the point where I'm ready to put these police in the fucking grave. I'm at the point where I want to burn the fucking White House down. I want to take it to the senator. I want to take it to the Congress. I want to take the fight to them. And at the end of the day, if they ain't going to hear us, 
We burned them the fuck down. For listening to Flyover Politic Podcast, please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride, makes every day count. Thank you.